0: Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and all the stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world.
1: All right, everybody, welcome in. It is. That time of the week. It is the best time of the week to talk about possibly the worst territory in the world. I am your host, Gabe, sitting here with Chris Goff. And Chris, welcome in. We are all fired up. We are refreshed, rejuvenated, and ready to go with this week's episode. How you doing?
2: Oh, I'm looking forward to the 102 degree temperature later. I mean, it is, uh, it is just brutal. I always love days like this, Gabe, because you say you love moving here from California. And these are one of those days where you're like 102, you know, a thousand percent humidity. It's going to be horrific here. And this is why I I like living here, but vacationing everywhere else to see where, you know, perfect (laughs) weather is elsewhere. But uh, besides that, everything's great. (laughs)
1: yeah me and my wife were already talking about we're like okay end of july we're heading up to minnesota again because that's where the weather is like beautiful 75 degrees 50 degrees at night south
2: dakota colorado minnesota i mean all those like any you know when i used to have the guys come over to wrestle from colorado i was telling the story the other day it was just so funny when i'd bring the denver guys in here on a july and they'd be here (laughs) and they're like about halfway through Kansas, we just couldn't breathe. You know, and it's just hilarious <laughs> because I'm like, man, when you – I mean, it's the same for us. When we go there, you hear about the people, you know, like they can't breathe at the altitude in Denver, but it's a different kind of problem. Like here, uh, you'd ask a guy to wrestle from Denver in Kansas City in July or August. I mean, they are about to die. And yeah. People that are even used to it. You know, like Derek Stone would come over and he would be like – you know, he lived here a long time. Then he lived in Colorado when he was coming over at there at one point, And it's just like, he couldn't, you know, it was just night and day. And so, uh, yeah, I look forward to going to South Dakota or Colorado anytime in the summer.
1: Yeah. And we, uh, you know, I've actually, we were actually talking about going to South Dakota last summer because I heard it's, you know, kind of similar, real, real pretty up there and oh, all yeah. that kind of yeah, stuff. It's great. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, first of all, we have an interview with KLD coming up here in oh, just yeah. a little bit, which um, we recorded. And I, 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 for one, found that interv- interview to be um, really, really uh, maybe a little bit different than I thought. What were you thinking last night going into the interview with KLD?
2: Okay, so for those of you who don't know the history of Todd Letterman slash KLD, Kevin Lee Davidson and, and NWL, He was one of the first hand-picked guys by Major, myself. Uh, He had worked for Metro Pro. He was a guy that we wanted to come over. And so when he came over and signed with a full-time deal with the NWL, it was great. Uh, He was an up-and-coming guy, big dude, you know, could move. uh, Very different for the independent scene. So anyway, when he – it it didn't work out the way uh that either side thought it would. uh he wasn't exactly loving it at a certain point and he gets into why. and you know i I think uh to answer your question like when before we interviewed him, uh, I don't know, over the years I've kept in touch with him here or there, and I can tell that um, I didn't really know if he was angry towards NWL or just didn't like it or made fun of it or whatever. Uh, but over the years I could tell that he sort of, he enjoyed, I think he looked back in fondness of the situation and you'll find out that he had personal stuff going on. And that was all stuff I personally, you know, personally, I didn't know about, but uh, I don't know. It, it went uh, sort of how I thought it would based on my interactions with him over the last handful of years, where I think he sort of, um, you know, the, the, as you get older and you get more perspective on what you had when you were a full-timer in the NWL, it's sort of uh any kind of negative thoughts, sort of erode away.
1: Yeah. I, I, I feel that I, I agree with you. It did kind of go the way I thought because I had booked him in journey pro and we had talked, we talked about that very briefly. So I knew that they, it was kind of water under the bridge, but I liked how honest our conversation was with him about, you know, I told him that I was upset with him when he was it seem, seemingly to me, he was mocking the NWL after or the Todd Letterman gimmick in particular. And I felt that was kind of like an, an ungrateful move, but he was saying that it was like he was actually not mocking it, that he was carrying it with him because he actually really enjoyed the Todd Letterman gimmick. So, but you guys will hear all about that here coming up, but Chris, we're going to talk about, we should have a little bumper for this. Din, 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 din. News from around the world. You know, professional wrestling news and uh notes that I wanted to talk to you about this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's been a long time since we've we've last discussed our uh our feelings about the current wrestling product. WWE is kind of sailing along, doing their thing. It's Seth Rollins. Well. Yeah, Seth Rollins won the uh the their new heavyweight championship. Um the Bloodline storyline continues to be the best thing maybe in the last decade as far as stories go in professional wrestling.
2: Definitely. I,
1: I, I, What I love about that story, I was telling somebody the other day, is I don't keep up with WWE at all, like really kind of, you know, kind of on the peripheral a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you can drop into that story and immediately not only get hooked, but understand exactly what's going on. I mean, you don't really
2: know – I don't really know who's in charge of that. Is it Vince is a Triple H? Who's the one that's sort of spearheading that? I mean, in in the old days, it's Vince. I don't – you know, I'm very confused on how the hierarchy is there now. I'm telling you, still the best story is what's going on with the McMahon family. How's the power struggle there? I mean, Vince is obviously fully back in control, but does he trust Triple H? Is Stephanie involved in any way behind the scenes? Who knows? You know, Shane – I. It's just what a story that whole thing will be one day. I don't know if anyone will ever write that book, but it will be interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't like, it is a super old school philosophy uh, just to keep this going for a very long time. I enjoy it because fans get really pissed off because no, it doesn't get a full, like they don't get a full payoff yet. (laughs) And like, people are very mad about that. If they hate the storyline, the thing would be like, they're like, it just feels like it's going on forever. You know? And I'm just like, man, this is like, you know it's it's the old days with like 10 hours of content a week you know which does tend to you know water it down back in the old days when you remembered the uh, mega powers mega powers exploding over the course of a year uh that was cuz there was like one show a week and it was like a segment right. that was about it now uh you know it, you obviously get way too much um coverage as far as like man it does tend to burn it out faster than it should but yes i mean that look they are doing better than ever and it's sort of hard to believe because the the model that we grew up on me and you are so different how to make money in wrestling used to be sell tickets used to be merchandise stuff like that now it is television rights and you know getting paid by foreign countries to have you know big shows and and it's just um you know we're not used to the sort of the new philosophy of of wrestling so you know i i think wwe is doing awesome and uh aew is i i Look, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad it's there because, I mean, our friend Ace, he works there again. yeah. And uh, it allows other people to have a job, you know, because who knows what's going to go on with WWE. I don't know if they're having a hiring freeze now for a while with this whole new structure
1: they have. I think they would have to. I think they would have to. They said they're going to cut some outrageous amount of money from the budget Endeavor is. And they're expecting layoffs actually to happen in July. So we should be seeing mass layoffs here in July.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, that's what always happens. Uh, yeah. They were leaning down anyway before they were selling. Yeah, so absolutely. who knows, but uh, you know, uh, just for our friend, a steel in particular, uh, I thought he might go back to WWE and now he's back at AEW and I'm glad he has that option. I'm glad other people have that option too, but man, what about, they're just two totally different kinds of shows.
1: You know, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. I know you, you follow peripherally as well. Cause you're, you've been super busy with the winery and all that kind of stuff. Thank God um, that, you know, this is your busy time of year. And so, that you know, it's it's been even rough recording this podcast. But, I you know, I was really hopeful for AEW Collision because it was the re-debut of CM Punk, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously in Chicago. And it's their chance. It was, in my opinion, it was their chance to reestablish maybe a different style. Because I watch AEW, kinda, I would say I watch Dynamite probably two times a month, so like 50% of the time. um you know depending i would like i like literally anything else could happen and i I would rather do that than watch aew but you know if i'm bored or something at night i'll watch aew uh and it's it is consistently a a just a overbooked mess on wednesday Mm -hmm. it's 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 not even crash tv vince russo stuff it's just like the, the, one of the um, collisions that I saw a couple weeks ago, their final segment was like Eddie Kingston coming out and announcing who his tag team partner. It wasn't even wrestling. It was like this weird segment that devolved into another segment with Okada and Brian Danielson b- building towards forbidden door. And I, I put myself in the shoes of a, like a, a novice wrestling fan. And I was like, this is boring. Like it, like who, who wants to end a show with like, Oh, this is my secret tag team partner. And it like, goes off the air. It was just kind of like dumb. So AEW collision, I was hoping would be more of the wrestling show. And it was, I really enjoyed the first episode of collision. There was, there was, you know, a couple talking segments here and there, but they had some really, really good wrestling matches. And I think that's why I consistently watch AEW more is because I'm actually rooting for them to be the alternative, to be the wrestling product that Cody Rhodes said that they were going to be. And it hasn't turned out that way at all. But what have you heard what have you seen from Collision from the redebut of CM Punk is there anything there that's kind of like getting you excited
2: Yeah I look it's obviously um you know, unofficially, it seems like a brand split to a degree, you know, I mean, oh, obviously is. you have the baby drama between the, uh, EVPs and then, uh, them hating anyone involved in any kind of, uh, creative decisions anywhere else. I mean, it's just, it is so ridiculous to, I know we rant about this all the time, but it, it's like the only way to counter, uh, all the ridiculousness I see on Twitter or on, uh, wrestling observer like sort of blurbs i read and it is just unbelievable the rewriting of history people people talk about vince being a jerk about oh yeah he owns all the footage so he gets to rewrite all the history of what really didn't happen in the wrestling history well let, let's go through dave melzer and all the online journalists that are anti like punk and ace and sort of anti like uh long time wrestling sort of, uh, glory. I, I don't know. They, they, they it's just, when you read their stuff, it is so not what, uh, I see or I hear, or it's like any kind of logical sense put into the equation doesn't ever add up to what is actually happening. So, um, you know, I, I think it's interesting to have like the Andrade's and the punks and the Miro's back. And it's like, It's almost like uh, this show could be very entertaining because A, all these people have gone away for a while, so you want to see them back again. Right. And, uh, like who all wants to work together on this show and how many people on the other show are going to be like, Hey man, I'd, I'd like to be on that show. You know, it's sort of a, and, and I think that's the way the leadership is in AEW is that it's like, there's not going to be any clear cut definition there outside of the ones that truly hate each other and have pending lawsuits. I think it's going to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'd rather go over and wrestle with uh punk and the gang and not be <laughs> over here with, uh, you know, the kindergartners. So that's right. Yeah, I just uh it's that to me has been cool. Like uh it was funny they did sort of that cold openish style um a promo where they had it, it reminded me of an old school Survivor series promo, you know, with Punk yeah. and his three guys yeah. like, "Hey, tonight I'm going to get to say a couple lines about the match." Tell them Hawk, you know, and they just, and they go through the line, Well, you know, which was like the best, like uh survivor series promos, uh, back in the day when they all got to say like their three lines. Right. right. I was always like, you're always like watching the guys that can't really talk in those is like, is Greg Valentine and barbarian, are they going to hit their lines? And how many takes <laughs> did it take for them to be like, yes, that's what we think, you know, or whatever. And it's like, uh, but anyway, I just thought that was cool. And I saw people just burying that online and I'm like, good Lord. God forbid they promote a freaking match that's going to be on later in the show that actually pays off. this is called t- episodic television. You get to, like, cut a promo at the beginning. You have something in the middle that sort of ties it, continues it along, and at the end, you have a final match to sort of wrap the bow on the show. That is how television and wrestling is done. It's usually a television is done, period, and it still gets buried by these people that consider themselves AEW loyalists, which, I don't know, whatever. Like, this is... Look, someone showed the other day all three of the shows that AEW has on their sh- their air right now are, are are losing to SmackDown. Okay, so I, it's it's not like AEW is up through the roof, and and you know as you know, Gabe, I can rant forever about CM Punk how they could they could have kept this going. They could have even when he was hurt and after the EVP fight and all that crap, they could have left him on. They could have continued to go back to him, had him from have give him a segment, have him do like uh call ins have them do something every week to keep it going but anyway they took the fire off the the sort of the most interesting thing going on in AEW which was uh you know two men getting in fights with boys and then they could have continued that along but they didn't so now you have punk coming back on after a little bit of a lead up and as we've discussed earlier anytime people return especially the same person within 2 years the diminishing returns are going to be lower you know it's it's just going to be punk is not going to bring uh 1.5 million people this time because the first time he'd been off TV for nine years and he yeah. could have left to keep going. He was still doing great ratings before, uh, the whole stupid fight. But, uh, I don't know. I think they met, they dropped the ball on that as far as Tony well, be, and whoever else.
1: Well, because they got, because people got their feelings hurt. Yeah, they got exactly. their. They, I mean, and they got peppered up with some jabs, but they also got their feelings hurt. Like, Oh, like, I mean, like <laughs> the smartest thing punk has said, and again, we've never absolved punk from in, from all wrongdoing. Right. But the smartest thing he said coming back was men get in fights in sports. This is what happens. Like,
2: look, it's a, it's an interesting wrinkle. Uh, like, I, I think it's interesting. This is always sort of what's fun and wrestling is like. The shoot work aspect, the Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, this stuff has been going on for years. It's obviously been magnified in the internet era and all this stuff. But I mean, look, no, do I think punk handled himself professionally when he buried him in the and the little internet cluster there, like media scrum. Uh, And by media, I mean a bunch of dorks that have a hundred followers on their, like Instagram. I, I don't know who, it's like they're handing out press passes. Like, you know, I used to be mad when I went to actual journalism school and I am actually a trained broadcast journalist Man. that is educated, not Joe's sportsreport.net, you know, so, I mean, it's even worse at AEW. I mean, they give anyone access to the stupid media scrum, which just, just tears it down anyway. That makes it means nothing. All, but,
1: all, uh, the, all, the, all the guys in mediocre podcast land now are oh like, my God. you mean we can get in we can get into a media scrum? Well, we're a mediocre podcast. We should be able to get in there. Hey, let's do it. Yeah, we are I, a mediocre podcast. I, but I, we're, I just, we're top mediocre podcast.
0: Uh
2: I just, you know, I, it's just weird that um you know the they can't work together anymore yeah the boss isn't in the boss isn't together the boss isn't doesn't have enough of a leadership role to actually make these people work together so that's that's another negative you know it's just but i it's it's uh I, I will tell you, Gabe, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what pictures that the young bucks have of Dave Meltzer and or Tony Khan <laughs> screwing a goat or something, because I, I don't understand any of the logic why they're still like put over like a million bucks and they have never got stripped of any kind of, you know, uh, power or title or anything through all this. And the other I did see a post the other day because uh, apparently one of the young bucks, why I think it's Matt Jackson's wife is in charge of uh, merchandise. Yes. Uh, for some reason, she got that token job when they got hired at early on. And so instead of obviously bringing on someone that knows what they're doing, they, they, you know, Tony keeps her on anyway, someone had a picture of the concession stand or the merch stand and the, the shirts are so weak and so bad. And it's like, you know, I, whenever they end up firing the bucks and, or their wife, uh, I, hopefully the, there will be some wrestler specific t-shirts and the merch will be a lot better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause some of their shirts are real bad real bad
2: yeah i mean there's a lot of real bad shirts and wrestling on everywhere but uh it was just you know in a world where i think you could sell some t-shirts to you know some pretty rabid fans that that really love AEW, uh they're real bad yeah
1: i yeah uh, and i know you didn't watch all of forbidden door but that was the new japan um you know crossover event that they did this last weekend uh-huh. um i watched the entire thing from start to finish the entire thing much to my chagrin from start to finish. I was really hoping that the Danielson Okada match would be fantastic. And in my opinion, it never got out of first gear. It was kind of weird and meandering. His arm snapped when Okada dropped an elbow on him and legitimately had to like put this weird submission on him, like crumpling up Okada that looked legitimately painful for the submission victory in that. But it it was, it just wasn't, Like, there were some decent matches, but like, I just don't understand the, the, uh, for lack of a better term, the boner that the collective internet gets whenever these guys go to town. A lot of these Japanese guys, a lot of the ones they brought out, dude, they are busted up. I mean, they're old, you know? And like, I don't know. The Omega Osprey match was, I thought it was a really good match. I did, I again, Dave, I could literally see Dave Meltzer sitting in his house and just like, I mean, you know what I mean. Just his walls were covered, like
0: you
2: know, like. And I'm (laughs) I'm that way with uh, old guys from from United States that I watched for years. You know, of course, I love bringing back the old guys. And and and, you know, when you're when you love Japanese wrestling, it doesn't really matter how old. uh, Someone would be that they brought over here. It's just you know the, you get to you know um, we've seen this. They brought in for m- multiple older guys just to have on, you know dynamite, and right. uh, it's right. pretty pathetic. But I know they just think it's cool to have them there, which to me is very indie you know it's like yeah like that's where the line is like vince would never have an old guy come on to wwe uh, no matter who they were unless it was somewhat of a comedic angle or somewhat of a you know it wouldn't be presented in the way aew does even if he ever did that you know like for example if they had sergeant slaughter come back or brooklyn brawler you know when they would have them in some throwaway match and some haha thing or some kind of stupid stiff that they were doing it wasn't treated like Sergeant Slaughter has a legitimate chance of beating Brian Danielson tonight. You know, it would never <laughs> right. be that way. It was, it's ridiculous to even think of it. So, you know, I I don't know. Look, a lot of AEW people are well versed, I guess, in New Japan. Uh the only forbidden thing in this pay-per-view is uh, New Japan getting any kind of credibility because it's uh they they are like uh, a zero on that as far as that. But you know, the Brian Danielson armbreak, man, that looked I mean, it's just, I saw the, I saw the uh, x-rays, holy God. And he wrestled in that for a while. I mean, he's obviously a tough guy, but, uh, he has just been off a step. Like he's just different now. And it makes you wonder, you know, a, you know, WWE did not clear that guy for a very long time. And, uh, maybe that's why, you know, I mean, there's just something off with him. I feel.
1: Yeah. He, I, I, yeah, they, they just couldn't get out of that gear, and so I mean, overall, the pay per view was it was okay. I mean, I, I again, but everyone, uh, you know, on the internet's like, this was the greatest pay per view that ever well, existed. That's it, what
2: everyone says. It, I mean, the, what about Kenny Omega about getting paralyzed? That was interesting.
1: Oh, when he got dropped on his head with the Tiger Driver ninety one. Yeah, yeah, it looked horrible. Oh my oh, god. Oh yeah, that 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 did not look pleasant. But that was that was a decent match. It was I I earned a I, I thought Kenny. Earned a little bit more respect in my book as far as I mean, putting your body through that kind of stuff, no matter how nonsensical it was at times, storyline-wise. I mean, that's I mean, he they 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 beat the piss out of each other at certain points in that match. So, you know, kudos to them. Um, but we'll see what happens. As they're going into the Wembley show, rumor has it, Bill Goldberg is heavily talking to them. And I mean, why not? God. He's a draw. Why not? why not that old son of a bitch out there? You know, he's
2: a name, he's a name, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia will probably keep paying for him till he's dead. But I just, uh, I, he's not, he's got a nice little send off. I've thought in WWE, he's had a couple nice little mini runs there. And, um, you know, I just, I don't know. He's not, he's not a legitimate person they, I'm just telling you, Tony reminds me of me booking an Indie. It's like, let me bring in demolition 30 years after their prime. You know, it's like, it's just, I mean, I like it because I'm doing it in a rec hall. I, I probably wouldn't put it on the uh, freaking, you know, Turner broadcasting, but that's just
1: me. And uh, the video, their video game finally launched speaking of AEW and uh, the reviews are in and it's not good. <laughs> Yeah,
2: so you know, I try to, I try to like look at this with an open, you know, open mind. I, I feel like obviously the the haters are going to say it looks like, uh, you know, Nintendo sixty four graphics, and then the 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 guys that love AEW, I mean, it could just be complete eight bit pixelization, and they would say it's the greatest game ever. So it's like really hard to decipher nowadays. It's much like news or political stuff. I don't know where the truth lies. Uh, my kids don't watch AEW, so I don't think they'll be buying that game. Uh, but I don't know when I'm gonna have a chance to look at it. I've seen it. I mean, it looks ridiculously over the top as far as like, uh, blood and gore. I mean, they've obviously taken a lot out of, uh, Moxley's (laughs) handbook of like, uh, there's blood in every match. And like, you can go through all these like, you know, horrible hardcore things, uh, which I don't necessarily equate with AEW necessarily. You know, I, I don't, I, I, it's not like an ECW game or something. Um, And, uh, I don't know. They, of course, every day on Twitter, I see like, uh, little glitches that people will find and throw it up and see like, see, see Kenny Omega's wasted $50 million. But I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I I don't know where the truth lies. I guess we'll, we'll find out as the reviews come in
1: from every side. Did you, have you seen the, uh, stings bump from last night? No, people were talking about this morning. I did not watch it yet. All right, well, Chris, do you want to? Yeah, I we're gonna do an impromptu segment right now, um, where we're gonna play. I'm gonna play for you. I'm looking it up right now, and then you can edit this or not. He's sixty what years old now? 60, he's sixty eight or sixty two, or sixty three, something like that. He's so He's coming let me, off the
2: ladder. Yes. Yeah. I I heard about it. Yeah.
1: Okay. Hold on one second.
2: Ah, oh, man, it's just it's just one of those <laughs> things, you know. I.
1: <laughs> I, I really think great. it's
2: like, I see both sides, man. I think it's cool that he wants to do this kind of stuff. I think it's cool that he's willing to do it. Right. But it's just at that age. And, you know, not only are you worried about hurting him, but like how well is it going to be executed at his age? You know, I just,
1: what's the I, like, here's the thing. Like uh, Jim Cornette has pointed this out a few times, bro, you're rich. Like you're, you have, you don't have any, you don't have to prove any, like, what is he trying to prove now? You know what I mean? Like what? Let me see here. It's not, it's, I'm going to pull it up here. Okay. Can uh, you do it? Can you do a screen share so we can watch it at the same time? Do you know? How to do um,
2: that? No, no, I don't know. how to do that, but I was just going to watch it so it can be uh, okay. something, something okay. that I can see. I see. Oh, it looks like, so that's a weird angle. So did he hurt himself on that?
1: Apparently he did. Apparently he's he's going to need stitches in his lip because maybe he bit Let's, his lip. But watch yeah. out. Have you seen the spot where he lands on the table?
2: Yes. He jumps off The the only spot I just saw, he jumps off the, 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 the apron basically and, and uh, goes through the table. There's another table behind him too. So it, I couldn't tell if he hit his head on that while trying to break the first table. Um, I don't know, man. Look look (laughs) I, I I just uh I give him credit for wanting to do that and still doing it. I mean, he obviously wouldn't do it if he didn't feel comfortable or didn't want to do it. he I don't think he'd do it. So no, especially I'd, not in that company in that company, you can do whatever you want. So uh, I don't think he, you know, this is his
1: fault, really. oh I mean, yeah, absolutely. Can, absolutely absolutely, absolutely. one hundred percent, but it's still weird that at that age, you're like, he put literally he says to Darby, I'll do this. And he jumps off a ladder and barely makes it, barely makes it could have been a lot worse. And he's 60 in his 60s. Brother, you don't need to do this anymore.
2: You know, uh, it reminds me, like AEW in general reminds me of uh, and my good friend Pete Madden, the human wrecking ball that would wrestle in, in Metro Pro. And every day, and I still give him crap to, to this day, he would come up to me every show. And it didn't matter what the situation or segment or match was. He would be like, uh, do you need me to get color tonight? Every day, okay? And I'd be like... <laughs> Uh I look at him with like eyes of my eyes are like, uh no, you know, like I just why and he'd be like, well, cause I can, you know, I mean, you just tell me. And he would dude, he would want to do a gig spot, a blood spot, somewhere every time. And and years later, he'd be like, man, I'm really glad that you would, uh, you know, edit me and filter me. Cause I would have done that every time. Cause he was willing to do that. And, uh, to me, the AEW is just, uh, uh, Pete Madden without any kind of filter, like just people just do whatever they want. They'll go. They'll go bleed every match. They'll go kill themselves. They'll go jump off a ladder for a pit, for a Wednesday television show when they could. If you're going to do that for a sick, how many, the bump card, right? How many times are you going to be able to do that? Do it on a pay-per-view or a big show when it matters more. Uh, but they just throw that crap out there all the time. That's the most maddening thing about all of it really is that, there's nothing I think the the lack of the pay-per-view and the lack of the bigger events that have sort of been watered down with so much uh, weekly television has sort of hurt the fact that these moments are meant for bigger mo you know bigger shows not not just uh random run in the mill Wednesday Saturday show you know it just I don't know it's 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 annoying but you know gone are the days where you're building to the big blow off at of a pay-per-view you know it just really doesn't happen anymore it just keeps going
1: yeah. It's just, yeah, there's no special, you know, like Jericho bled last night. I mean, there, there's there's nothing special anymore about when, bleeding or Wednesdays or Thursdays or Fridays or Saturdays or Mondays, whatever. At least WWE is trying to keep some of that, you know, and I'm not the biggest WWE proponent, but... I think they're making more compelling television right now. I mean, there's I, I some standards
2: it. that they, they 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 apply standards that AEW doesn't. You know, they they have now there are definitely a lot of problems with WWE and the way they do things and how they use certain people and like you can sit there and like write down bad stuff on all companies right now. But the one thing that WWE always does is they know how to frame stuff to make them important. They know how to produce things to make them look bigger than they actually are. And they know how to, you know, just sort of some of the unwritten rules are still like, you know, listen to over there and they don't do that in AEW, which is one of the more frustrating things when you see people that you know work there like arn anderson or jake the snake malenko these guys are there they know what's going on but you know i i guess i just chalk it up to and jim ross even i chalk it up to they they want a paycheck and they don't want to lose their job so you know that's just all it is
1: Uh, poor jim ross poor Jim Ross. What a man. <laughs>
2: hey, speaking of which my, my boy, Kevin Kelly's on there now, which is interesting. amazing. Like, amazing. He, uh, I, I think a lot of people were wanting, <laughs> uh, the only criticism I heard was like, Oh, Kevin Kelly and, and Nigel. I was hoping we could get some people under the age of 50, you know, or whatever. And, um, I guess that's the only negative is that they're, he, they're older still. Oh,
1: that's ridiculous. I
2: I still think that's good though. The experience, the older I get, you know, I think we all did when you were like 20 or 30 something, I was in television. So, uh, so I can relate to this maybe more than you Gay. but like when you're 27 years old and you're a television anchor and you're like, I don't understand why I'm not on the flagship show. (laughs) Like I can read the news just as well as a 60 year old can and blah, blah, blah. But then you realize when you're older that you're like, now coming out of your mouth, a 27-year-old, it just doesn't mean as much because we all know that you have no experience. So right, uh, And that's how I feel about wrestling commentators. I'm like, you could have some really awesome dude. You know, when Josh Matthews was calling it, when he was like wet behind the ears still, you know, and it's like, this guy is so young. I know he did tough enough. He wrestled some. But I'm like, it's hard for me to take him seriously because he's like a a kid. You know, I'd rather – I need like an older guy to – to tell me, you know, what's going on because I feel like they've just seen it's more done it trusted.
1: It's, it's the same with news anchors. Like you were saying, Tom Brokaw, those guys you're like, man, Tom Brokaw, he knows what he's talking about. He could be like pizza is the worst food in the world. More news at 11. You're like Tom Brokaw knows exactly what I feel about pizza. You know, it's totally
2: could, fake news right there. But Yeah.
1: Yeah um so anyways we have filibustered enough chris we are look we are now staring down the barrel of almost an hour of filibustering even before we get to the kld interview okay Uh, so let's go ahead and go to the kld interview and again like you said this is uh, a really great interview a little different perspective on life in the nwl from the mouth of kevin lee davidson formerly known as todd letterman and we'll see you on the other side of this interview
0: it's the
1: worst territory all right everybody we are sitting here with our special guest this week kevin lee davidson aka or formerly known as todd letterman and now he is uh he's you're you're on the comeback trail now right you're uh uh, picking up some uh
3: wrestling gigs here and there and yeah no i took a little bit of time off from family time you know in the last year and uh unfortunately right as i was coming back i got you know hit with some health issues but everything's been cleared up and yeah i'm on the up and up and hopefully within the next month or two you know i'll be i'll be back going you know full stride nice
1: well thank you for joining us uh on the podcast This obviously this is called the worst territory in the world me and chris uh evaluate and uh kind of poke fun at the Central State slash Midwest Territory and specifically the NWL because that's how all three of us got connected. Um, We've had some uh, NWL guests on in the past and uh, you know we've had I thought it was really important that we talk to you because you know we've had all these people from the NWL on talking about their time and whatnot and it's always pretty glowing right we all remember fondly you know, the things that happen in and out of the ring. Um, but, you know, your story is going to be a little bit unique in the fact that, you know, you left kind of, I, w- I would say, what would you say, halfway through the process or the 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 company development?
3: Uh, about, yeah, maybe, maybe a hair less, but, yeah, I would say that's a fair guesstimate.
1: Yeah, so, and, you know, and I think it's important that, you know, we get – you know, maybe not such a glowing (laughs) review, if you will, of the NWL and kind of hear maybe from a different perspective where, you know, things may have went wrong with you and, um, you know, how how everything ended. But uh, before that, Chris, uh, go ahead and kick off and, you know, kind of tell everybody how you and uh, Kevin uh, made an acquaintance.
2: You know, uh, when I was promoting Metro Pro Wrestling, we started that in 2010, as you know, and so you know, I was always into the uh, the the bigger dudes in the area. I mean, we had the Derek Stones, the Trevor Murdochs, the Bull Schmitz, the Michael Strider, even you know these bigger guys. And you know, as as obviously you've seen in independent wrestling now, I mean that is it's trended towards smaller dudes, and, and that's how that's how independent wrestling was was working at the you know towards that at you know in the mid two thousands here, or two thousand tens I should say. So what ended up happening is. Um, I said, you know, I I was scouting as much as I could uh on the internet and just through other people. And uh KLD was wrestling, I think it was Anarchy. It was in St. Louis, obviously, his hometown. And I would see this guy, and he's this huge dude. I mean, it's a guy that, you know, in the Midwest, just in general on the independent scene, I thought KLD was like he stood out. You know, it's just not he was a throwback, uh, bigger dude and um, had, uh, you know, athleticism, had skill. And so uh, I started asking to book him at Metro Pro Wrestling and he came over the first time and, um, you know, good, you know, always was very well mannered. Uh, you know, his, his family is very supportive of him. They would show up, his sister, his mom, you know, is like, uh, you know, you didn't see that all the time with, with wrestlers. And so he worked a couple times at Metro Pro. Um, it was two or three times because he started coming in not too long before uh, Major Baisden came into my life and started uh, changing things. But uh, I do remember uh, KLD. If you recall the uh, the big show we had out at T Bone's Baseball Stadium at the time, it's called Legends Field now, but it was a baseball stadium show. We had Tommy Dreamer there, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, but KLD was there, and people were setting up their stuff on the concourse. Uh, your mom was there. I know a bunch of people were there. It was a pretty, it was a fun show, but that was major based and Travis Bowden. Uh, they came to that show because at the time we had been talking about, you know, doing this whole thing together with the NWL. And I think if I'm not uh, mistaken, KLD, I think that is where major based met you and sort of uh, decided that he wanted you to be one of the first guys involved.
3: Yeah. Um, pretty spot on. So yeah, we were at the, the stadium and Uh, I was getting in my gear. I was getting ready for the match, you know, getting prepped up and everything getting taped up. And uh, I think it was you that had came in and was like, Hey, KLD, you got somebody that wants to meet you in in the hallway or concourse, whatever you call it. And uh, I went out, I had met major, I I met Travis and, you know, we we spoke briefly and, you know, like I said, I was kind of in the middle of getting ready for my match. So, you know, we spoke and I was like, okay, well, you know, it was nice to meet you guys. I'm going to go, you know, wrap up, you know, getting ready for the match. And, I remember Travis being like, well, well, "Well, wait a second. and Major popped in. He's like, "Well, we want to offer you a contract," and, <laughs> and you know, like I said, I just it wasn't, it wasn't the first thing I was expecting to hear. Sure. So obviously that caught me off guard, and uh, you know, obviously I'm interested in hearing more. So we chatted a little longer, and you know, exchanged uh, exchanged uh, contact info, and but yeah, that's where it all got started that day at the ball field. I think that was my birthday, or within a couple of days of my birthday that year. Um, in was it July or August or something like that. Yeah, I believe it, it was. It was July
2: or August. It was definitely in the summer. Uh, the the baseball team was uh, on the road, so that's why we were able to use it that weekend. But I uh, remember that, that that was that Gabe. I, I don't I don't know how many outdoor shows you did with Journey Pro, but that was an outdoor show, and I was just I was sweating bullets because it was like it rain. It rained for a little bit, but there was rain clouds everywhere. It was going to be a huge disaster. But anyway, it worked out. Uh, but KLD meets major. And uh, I was telling Gabe earlier, uh, Kevin, that basically um, it was early on that it, I, before I totally moved into the office and took. A little bit more control of being involved uh, with sort of talent relations at that point. It was quite apparent that because of the Metro Pro shows he had been to, that Major uh, was wanting to sign the Regal Twins, known as the Royal Blood, and then you uh, and when with the name Todd Letterman. Now, I, I did want to ask you when you did meet with Major. And uh, where did it start? Because I was trying to remember, I have some. sometimes I have a bad memory. How did the first initial meeting come where it was pitched to you with the, the idea of the football player that was hurt, wrestler Todd Letterman? How did that all go down?
3: So the way my memory serves me is we originally met at the ballpark, um, which was followed by he invited me out to well, a bunch of the guys. He invited a bunch of us out to a suite at the Chiefs game. Um, I remember I wrestled in St. Louis and I hit the road afterwards to make the chiefs game the next afternoon. Um, met with major, you know, uh, discussed a few details and, you know, all sounded good. I ended up making another trip out to the office to, you know, kind of cross the T's and dot the I's. I'm pretty sure all the contracts were, were signed at this point. Um, but it was still, you know, towards the end of the year, I was still a free agent and I was, uh, pulling up to a show in Omaha. And I think, uh, it was either you or Major had texted me and asked me if I had a moment for a phone call. So I pull up to the venue, and we um, we we hopped on the phone, and I remember uh, Travis hopping on um, hopping on the call, and he pitched to me. Uh, he wanted to go with the KLD theme, but he wanted to change it to STL, and that my initials would be Seb- or STL for Sebastian Todd Letterman. And I just remember thinking, good grief, what the hell did I get myself into? I've never wow. heard that before. That yes, is, a- I do
2: remember that when that happened. And I remember that oh there was a God. lot of like those like, of, of course, <laughs> for those that don't remember NWL, it was like a divide, dividing lines with Kansas City and St. Louis. And I do remember that because there were jokes made about that afterwards. That was the same. There was the same category of like Davy Vega was going to be like Davy Blue and Matt Fitch. was going to be like Matt Cardinal. It was like <laughs> stuff like that. I love it. Yeah, so well, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Sebastian didn't stick
3: really. <laughs> yeah, I had to fight for that one for a little bit. I was like, Todd Letterman, I can deal with, but man, this because especially the storyline he wanted to do with it, it was one of those real, 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 real cheesy like 80s storylines where. <laughs> somebody would call me Sebastian like six or seven months into a program and I would just get red hot about it. Like only my mother can call me Sebastian or whatever. It was just, it was way out there, but yeah. This, this right
1: here is why we do this podcast. I cannot stop laughing about you being called (laughs) Sebastian. Like that is wow. That is, it, real quick, though, I want to go back. I always ask everybody that that does this podcast, what was your first impression of Major Bazin? He's such an interesting guy in life. Like, what was your – I mean, because we all know the Chiefs suite was infamous. And thank you for bringing that up because, boy, I never got to go in the Chiefs suite because I heard it, it got pretty – Chaotic, I think, is a is a. Oh, is people a like to
2: drink a lot. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. you know, like my wife still brings up the fact that he had that chief suite, and that was the year the Guns and Roses came back. And he <laughs> like the first meeting I had with Major, we went to his chief suite and we watched Guns and Roses from them. And she's like, I could probably live like this, you know, I'm like <laughs> yeah. Little did I know that was going to be the only damn concert that Major ever took me to. But yeah, uh, so uh, so
1: what? Yeah, what? what was <laughs> <yeah, what, laughs> yeah, your thoughts on that? Major? Yeah,
3: uh, he was cool, man. Uh, he he, straight to the point, you know, no BS. (laughs) Um, he seemed like a cool dude, man. There's only you know really no bad way to spin it. He was you know straight to the point, and yeah, yeah, he was always cool to me, man. I have nothing bad to say about him. He was always good to me. Okay, very very opinionated for sure when it comes to St. Louis, I will say. But but yeah, we'll get to
1: that. We'll get to that. (laughs) Um, so so uh, they pitched this Sebastian. (laughs) they pitched the Sebastian (laughs) gimmick to you fought a little bit so was Todd so they had the idea for STL Sebastian Todd Letterman did you say hey I'll do Todd Letterman but let's get rid of the Sebastian thing is that kind of where you were going with the um, kind of your input on the character
3: I want to say that Matt Jackson was the one that kind of stepped in for me and was like listen like he really is not a fan of this you know Sebastian Todd Letterman thing what if we just call him Todd Letterman and I think that's kind of how it stuck okay yeah,
2: look, I uh, I know we'll get into this with the Todd Letterman gimmick, but um, let let me get your overall opinion of just the idea. And because look, we're talking seven eight years ago now, yeah. we were all younger. Uh, we don't like different worlds now, but like at the time, it was very. You know, I had some months into this where it was uh, I had been able to talk to Major, get his full vision, all this stuff, and I understand how we're pitching this to you guys. And, uh, it's coming at a mile a minute here and he wants to get this thing going by January. So, uh, what was your overall opinion of the fact that he wanted, uh, if you were going to sign, or even if you weren't going to sign full-time, he wanted everyone really realistically to have their own gimmick within NWL. Um, you know, if I recall, you weren't the biggest fan of that, of course, from the beginning. And a lot of people weren't, uh, they, they didn't necessarily see the value in putting uh you know a different gimmick for this company versus other companies you might work under your other name that you've worked before. Um I thought personally I liked it, but what what did you think of that when you first heard
3: that? Um obviously, you know, when you spend so many years putting yourself into a, a certain, you know, character or brand or whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah, I, I I would definitely want to take that with me. But, I mean, when it comes down to it, the man spent millions of dollars on a company. So, I mean, when you're when you're putting your money where your mouth is like he did, I, I think it's, it's definitely understandable that he would want to own, you know, and copyright the, the gimmick and name you're using. So, I get it. Like you said, I wasn't a fan of changing what I was doing at the time, but I, I totally understood why he wanted to do it, no question.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people have an issue with, like, just for the, you know, the people I know that that love or hate the NWL. They there were so many things that were different. But as I've gotten to as I went through it and understood what he was doing, of course I had the experience of working at WWF where this is pretty commonplace, but on the indie scene, it was just different. You know, you have this guy mm. paying like recording artists to make everyone's like unique entrance music. He's doing all this stuff. And I get that he was sort of like you know, he was doing a mini Vince McMahon. I want to earn, I want to own the intellectual property rights of these gimmicks that are created on this company that I'm throwing lots of money down. I mean, as you said, dude, I, I'm still amazed. He, he put down so much money into this company and he wasn't sweating it at all for at least a year and a half. I mean, because right. he was... <laughs> He was sort of like, you know, this is how it works. You know, he goes, you go into the red and you'll come back in the black eventually. And, you know, at the time I had been involved in other companies, but not to this level where (laughs) I'm so close to the dude that's like, you know, spending the money and has had such a a track record with business. So, um I mean, like just the overall package when you were getting pitched this. I mean, I remember sitting down with each of the full-timers, and you were one of them, obviously. For those that didn't know, there was seven, eight full-timers that that started this. Uh, That grew as time went on as well, just in terms of in-ring workers. Uh, How hard was it to uh, sell you on this, Kevin? Because I know – You had a tie in St. Louis and you were going to have to move to Kansas City, which is not every St. Louisan's uh, dream. And uh, (laughs) like, you know, what? how much thought and and planning did you have to think about uh, taking this job?
3: It definitely took me a minute. Um, I had a lot to consider. Uh, I had a lot going on in my personal life at the time. You know, some great, some not so great. And I was also in a very unique point in my career, I think, where you know, I was starting to get out there. I was, you know, I just had finished my first tour of the UK and Europe. I had just finished uh, my first time in Canada. Um, I was starting to get bookings, you know, coast to coast. And, you know, like when you finally start to get that point in your career, like, oh, man, people are buying me flights. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> this is cool. You know, I'm starting to really get out there. So I was kind of at a crossroads to where um, and there was two sides of this coin, too, where all right, do I, do I, and you know, at the time I'm also starting to get spots with like Ring of Honor. I'm trying to get opportunities, you know, bigger opportunities on the bigger Indies around here. So Mm -hmm. I was kind of at that point where, do I want to stick with this and, you know, kind of build on what I've been working towards for, you know, a few years now, or do I want to risk, risk it all for something that's kind of, you know, really hasn't been proven yet. But on the flip side, I could also be involved in something very, very cool at, at the ground level. So, I mean, it was definitely a hard decision to make, like I said, but I think, you know, as <laughs> it, funny as it is to say, the money talked, man. Um, I, yeah, I packed up, and I moved to Kansas City, and I was determined to make the best of it. We had a good crew. Uh, uh, You always made a really good impression on me. I was really, really fond of you. You were a big part of me signing with NWL. Uh, the Regal Twins were always really good to me, and, you know, Sammy Dell, Sammy Six Guns, Dak Draper, whatever you want to call them, Uh, <laughs> There, there was, there was just a very good crew in Kansas City, and and regardless of what I had going on at home, you know, at the time I was, I was determined to make this work, and you know, try and try and build something cool from the ground up.
1: And, so talk about,
3: yeah, you know, go ahead, Gabe.
1: Well, talk about the, you know, going back a little bit when you you signed the contract, you make the big move to Kansas City. How did you feel the character character wise? You knew that you were going to be an injured football. I don't know why I'm laughing. An injured football <laughs> player who um is see- basically seeking revenge for his failed football career. Now, of course you knew that the you know we wanted uh major wanted to own the intellectual property of the character, but was it the direction was it the overall direction of the character that you were still kind of like, ah, man, like were you hoping that things would change over time or were you okay with the direction just as long as the money was there and you were just going to make the best of it?
3: Honestly, man, when it came to the goofy part of it, I really don't think it had much of an impact on what I was actually doing at the time. Sure, like, you know, we had the whole press conference and we kind of laid the groundwork of, I'm this guy coming for revenge for the punk from Kansas City that hurt my knee or whatever, but... When we really got into the nitty gritty of it, you know, we started working and we started doing TV. Like, if you really think about it, that didn't have much to do with it. So I kind of got to put my own flavor on it from the beginning, you know. And yeah. I think KLD kind of really did show through. Todd Letterman, um, Todd Letterman was almost just like a, 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 a jock KLD, you know, which, which isn't that far from the truth, you know. I played football in school and I wrestled, you know. So I mean, okay. I think when when it boils down to it, um, all the goofy stuff that we were kind of hesitant on kind of just fell to the wayside once, once we got to work. That's good perspective.
2: I think that, and I think that's what most people sort of learned over time. I mean, it's like, you have to, you know, as as you introduce these characters, you have to sort of have something to just be like, Hey, here's KLD or whatever. Right. He's a worker in the Midwest, you know, whatever. So, and I understand like, you know, I, look, I, I heard it all. Like we, you know, we've talked about here on before, but you know, everyone had a call for the most part with major, myself, Travis, some combination of the three we would discuss with all the wrestlers. Hey, do you have any ideas for somebody you'd like to be? If it weren't going to be your original gimmick, you're working on the Indies now and people would uh, throw out some stuff. Some people might not, we'd have to sort of, you know, sort of ask them about their likes, dislikes, hobbies, something to play off of. And, um, you know, and and the I thought like, I know I know it's cheesy goofy to a degree, but I actually like Todd Letterman's character, only because it was like uh a, a different uh it's sort of it was a throwback thing totally. And it was it has Travis Bowden's handprints all over it all because over he's it. he is like a super Memphis throwback guy. Absolutely but, but I also thought it was cool because I got to be honest, Kevin, I, I think your Letterman hand signal and screaming Letterman was the most <laughs> over thing that I've ever seen you do. It was like – people love that, man.
3: That was good times, yeah. And, I mean, especially when we're speaking in terms of Kansas City, like I can't walk into the city without uh, wrestling fans screaming Letterman. So, yeah, yeah, it was a fun time, man. Like there's there's nothing that I regret about it by any means. I think in, in, especially speaking in terms of Kansas City, um, that was – definitely some, one of the most over things I've done in my career. No doubt. Let's talk about, uh,
2: I I want to talk about you being homesick. I know, because I know back then, again, you're much younger than as we all were. And so uh, I know you were homesick and you were one of the few guys that, you know, I think, uh, I think, Sam slash uh, Dak Draper could probably move to Mars and not be homesick. Uh, (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) There's there's some people that that does not affect. I it's affected me in my life, too. And even though you weren't that far away in terms of geographically, I know having to live in Kansas City was not your favorite thing. I mean, how did you uh, you know, how did how much did that play a part? I I know you're close with your family. Like I said, I, I always felt sort of bad for you because you're one of the few guys that had to do that.
3: Yeah, um, like I said, I had a lot going on personally at that time. You know, some good, some bad, um, and it was mostly the bad stuff tugging on me. Uh, I was in a really toxic relationship at the time, and there was a kid involved. And I mean, that's not easy on anybody, no matter what's going on. Um, and then you throw a, a wrestling contract and a, and a four-hour drive in between it, and you know, it wasn't the easiest thing to deal with at the time. On top of you know, I'm like you said, I'm I'm very rooted in St. Louis. I have a lot going on here. And, I think that's kind of another reason that I was kind of bummed out that um, I wasn't given – not freedom, but, you know, some sort of tick of – there's a lot more I feel like I could have done for St. Louis before Major just pulled the plug and said, and nobody in St. Louis wants to work with you unless you're from St. Louis. Uh, yeah. Screw it. We're not we're not doing these shows here. And I felt like there was a lot more a <laughs> uh, bread to be buttered per se uh, in St. Louis before the, the plug was pulled on it.
1: So when you're when you're um let's talk about the day-to-day life in Kansas City. You're living with a bunch of wrestlers or in proximity to a bunch of wrestlers. You're going to the TPC. You're having this experience that not a lot of people, myself included obviously being not ever in the industry beforehand. We're all getting these experiences making a full-time living in professional wrestling. What was it like the day-to-day life in Kansas City as far as training, as far as, you know, getting along with the other boys? I mean, do you think wrestlers work hard and and play hard do you think that kind of played a factor also into like maybe early burnout or anything like that maybe the homesickness is like this is kind of wild and crazy or was it or was it pretty tame all across the board
3: um i think it was kind of tame in kansas city to be honest when you talk about the day-to-day i mean you know we'd wake up we train and we do conditioning you know whatever was on the schedule for the day and uh obviously we definitely had a few wild nights out if we're talking to work hard play hard when it comes to the street team Uh, but i I, I wouldn't say it was a (laughs) day-to-day thing by any means uh it definitely could get out of hand on more than one occasion no no question but i wouldn't say it had a factor in in any burnout or by any means i think uh while it did get out of control at times it wasn't like there wasn't a tight leg kept on it um i don't think it affected our day to day by any means. Like I said, it wasn't like a nightly thing for us. So, so no, I, I wouldn't say that, that, that put any, you know, burnout on it per se.
2: Kevin, give me your perspective on the, uh, just how looking back now, what do you think about with the NWL as far as like what he did, uh, production wise, uh, you know, the video board, the just, I mean, I, I'm sure regardless of if, if people love or hate the NWL and they were a big part of it, like, I assume that as the years go by, cause I find myself doing this too. It's like, I, I look back on it in fondness, but I also look back on it and just like, I can't believe we were all part of that. And I sort of felt that way when we were going through it. Cause I was like, this is super unique. And I tried to sell that to as many people as I could just because you know, a lot of people were younger than me. A lot of people hadn't had the experiences I had. And I found in most of my jobs and careers that I've had before and since wrestling, it's like, um, you know, I, I go somewhere after working for Vince McMahon, when I'm in my twenties <laughs> and then getting fired uh, and then, and then going on to other things, you're like, man, you don't know how great this is right now. I've said this several times in different aspects of my career, but I feel like when you look back at the NWL uh, I know it didn't last that long, but man, it just was, so unique and i don't think will ever happen again anywhere else i mean what what is your thoughts on something like that
3: i mean i i agree with you 100 percent, man I, I don't think it'll ever happen again and it was definitely very unique and i'm i'm definitely glad i got to be a part of it you know for the for the small time i was um the production was out of this world obviously for i don't want to call it an indie because you know we were you know signed to contracts and whatnot but i mean kind of like an independent thing you know when, when you're thinking of kansas city and st louis um, it's kind of like you know, as the show is called, a territory, and uh, it was definitely unique for the area. Um, glad I was a part of it. Um, what was the, What was the last part of the question again?
2: Well, it's just, it's just like you know. Now you have a little bit of perspective. You're you've, you're getting into your 30s or whatever. Now it's like, you know, it's just something that is. Um, as I get older, I sort of like uh, appreciate it more, I guess. <laughs>
3: Even though I appreciate, yeah, it then too, You know, I, I appreciate it then, and uh, you know, definitely looking back, I appreciate it more. And I do wish things would have gone differently, in the sense of, like I mentioned earlier, like we would have put a little more work in St. Louis. I, I know I didn't leave on the best terms, but I mean, it wasn't just because of what was going on there. I obviously had my stuff going on at home, but um, I, will see. I'm just trying to, worry. I'm not trying to bear anybody, you know, it's, um, it was a good experience overall. I just wish that we would have put a little bit more work into St. Louis and I think we could have made it really cool. And just the, the time I was at in my career, uh, and like we were talking about before we went live about the people in my ear and whatnot. And I mean, of course they were rooting against it, but at the same time, you know, there's kind of, there's a point to be made about. You know, where you're at in your career, and do you just want to stay in St. Louis and Kansas City? And, you know, do you want stuff? I don't know, man. It was a good time. I was glad to be a part of it, but no, look,
2: I think everything you're saying makes sense, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. I know you had other guys that, I mean, look, you were a big presence. Like I said, you had a unique, the reason why you were offered a contract for a company that was a startup is because you had a unique look and style. I mean, you were like, there's not a lot of people your size. On the independent level, you know, most people, I honestly, you know, barring injuries or other things in your personal life, I, I, you know, and I can't, I don't know everything that's going on with you since I haven't seen you last, but I'm just saying, like, on paper, I would have thought you would have been signed because you're just, you're just Mm -hmm. a big dude, you know, like you're, Mm -hmm. uh, and you had that going for you. And I understand at the time. Uh, I get it. I got the risk that you, the Regals had a very similar thing. You know, they had absolutely, absolutely. They, they had the gimmick of the twin brothers and, that were jacked and like, not the biggest guys, but it doesn't matter because the there's smaller dudes in them, like with championships now on national television every week. So, um, <laughs> You know like both of you guys were and that's why I think you guys were the first people signed you know because you were you had uh like a unique thing and people knew you in the area which was a plus but uh you know I thought it was you you guys I, I understand your trepidation to signing it because of everything you just said you know there there are things. You know at that time uh, AEW wasn't even a, a thought but it was the the impacts the the ring of honors the new japan like there's stuff that you know even NXT I guess was probably thrown out there as a possibility for you cuz you know I honestly thought that you could have gone there if you wanted to I mean if if, if the things would have worked out
3: Yeah I mean at the time there was definitely a lot of ideas getting thrown around so I mean like I said I was at that age too that real crossroads like oh man do I want to risk it but I, everything happens for a reason man I had a lot of fun doing what I did. I had a lot of fun being around who I was around at the time. So, I mean, like I said, everything happens for a reason. I I, I did enjoy my time while I was there, looking back on it for sure.
1: When did you start? So, you know, we're kind of talking about, you know, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to some of your favorite matches and some like highlights of, of your time in the NWL in a, in a minute. But looking back on it, when did you start seeing the cracks starting to form? Maybe in your own mind, whether it was the TPC or something where it was like, this isn't for me now, you know, you talked about maybe some people were in your ear. That's, that's maybe beside the point to the question that I'm asking. When did you start feeling that this probably wasn't for you anymore?
3: Um, It definitely had more to do at the time when I started seeing the cracks, uh, what was going on back home uh, at the point in time, I think it might've been, it might've been April, maybe late March. Um, So, you know, I'm, I'm in Kansas city for a few months, you know, and now at this point, and it it just got rough, man. Um, trying to juggle, you know, trying to be in Kansas City half the time and trying to juggle being at home and, you know, being in the toxic relationship I was in and just trying to make everything work. you studying for college too? I was also in college at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I was trying to juggle a lot, man. And you know, the, I made I made really good friends with uh, Highway Seventy at the time. I spent a lot of time on Highway Seventy, but yeah. I think it was, you know, somewhere around late March, April, where I just realized that, you know, I was just exhausted at this point. And the reason I went in the first place, I knew there was going to be exhaustion, but I had high hopes that we were going to make something cool. And there was just that point, you know, like I said, where I was, you know, about three, four months into where I just didn't see it going the way that I I figured it would. Um, There was a lot of times I know Chris had called me in the office and, you know, asked me, you know, Hey, what do you think we can do? with st louis and you know I, i'd go to major and i was very well connected with radio stations and tv at the time and there's stuff that you know i offered i really wanted to help make happen and major just kind of had stuck in his head you know screw st louis i, I don't care basically yeah. and uh you know with that going on and with the toxicity in the relationship just getting worse and i'm starting to screw my own marbles up and it just it just came to a point where i was like look i just don't think i can handle this load anymore um and you know, I had talked to Matt, and I was like, "Look, I just, I just don't know if I can handle this." I'm um, gonna go talk to Major, and I asked for my release. I think, and I think my final day was like June 5th. Uh, I, I dropped the title to moonshare or Maverick, and uh, yeah, that was that. And it was kind of unfortunate. I know, I, I don't know exactly what went wrong or where it went wrong, um, because uh, my understanding at the time was I was going to quit being a full time guy, and I was going to go to part time and. I guess some heat got toggled up somewhere and something, some words got twisted somewhere. I don't know exactly what happened, but it ended up not happening. And I was kind of bummed out about that because, like I said, I I enjoyed the people I was around and I was having fun doing what I'm doing. It just, me being in Kansas City and, and doing this full time just wasn't on oh my, it, it wasn't for me anymore. So I don't yeah. know what happened there, but yeah, I was kind of bummed out that, it, you know, nothing ever took off after that.
2: I think there was probably some hurt feelings on the other side. I'm sure, you know I mean? Like, uh, there was some, like, um, I think some of that was, you know, three, four months in. I mean, I think major had this planned out for a long time, as far as like, it wasn't going to, this is a Titanic. It was not going to, it was not going to hit the, what he wanted that quickly. But, uh, I do understand your thoughts on St. Louis. I, you know, if we've talked about this before, but for those that didn't know, sort of the grand plan of the NWL, it was like he was major had the first market was Kansas city, St. Louis. And he had ideas of finding sort of mid tier cities that had rivalries close by with another city that didn't necessarily have a ton of uh professional teams. You know, we're not talking Chicago, New York, you know, Kansas city and St. Louis had professional teams, but they're on the mid tier of the, of the cities that have those. So, um, he was looking for this to be the first sort of starting point of moving on to some places in Texas, some places up in the Northeast, stuff like that, Northwest. Um, and so obviously though, major was biased because he loved Kansas city and he's from, and he lives here. So uh, right. that, that was going to be one issue. And I knew a lot of people had issues with that from St. Louis because it was going to get the Kansas city rub instead of St. Louis. And I understood that. But, um, I will say it, it was in bringing on Matt Jackson was something that uh, I wanted to do because uh, I had a great relationship with him at Metro pro and uh, he had more of an edgier, you know, uh, promotion in St. Louis uh he wasn't a throwback he was going to be more open to uh open to any idea and he still is so uh you know I was glad that he was there and he was a good conduit to have you guys talk to and sort of understand the lay of the land but man yes Kansas City and St. Louis are so different uh you were talking about you know you know not being able to sort of get our footing over there One of the things that, you know, if we had to do it again, Kevin, and I've talked to Gabe and others about this is like one thing that major wanted to do is he wanted to have the key uh, building the venue to be in an urban area of both Kansas city and St. Louis and uh, major being a mixed race guy. I understood what he was trying to do there and be inclusive and not being like just a suburbia guy or sort of country, but at the same time, like that's your audience to a large degree. So it was very hard (laughs) To run Scottish Right, which and many people in Kansas City and the outskirts would say that's the, that's the hood and I ain't going down there. And then Casaloma, uh, and that was Casa Loma was the one that we finally came to that, but gosh, we were looking like even more downtown than that at first. Uh, that was, you know, we finally, when we signed Casa Loma and went there, I love the venue. I know you guys great loved venue. loading the ring in there every week. It was great.
3: <laughs> My favorite part. Yeah. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 That was, yeah. No.
2: Yeah. So, but, but didn't you like, so that was the first problem with like the high rent. Uh, the turnout was good at the very beginning, but it it quickly tapered off. I think a lot of people in St. Louis, I at the very maybe before they should have really felt this way, but I think they always felt that Kansas City was always going to be treated and and they were treated better, and they were the red haired stepchild, St. Louis. Like, is that is that what you sort of got from people? Is that what you is that the perception of everyone?
3: That was definitely the vibe. Um, I didn't really got much time to talk to the fans about it, but obviously as you can see the audiences you know kind of the numbers dropping as time went on i could definitely see that 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 was their definitely point of view um in terms of you know workers though i think i just really wish we could have gotten and this might not be major's fault but if we really could have got a saturday somewhere man like i feel like we could have started cooking you know it's really it's really hard on thursdays and sundays to get going And like i said this might not be major's fault i'm i'm sure he was trying to get a saturday somewhere but there's just there's just a lot a lot of little things I feel like we we could have tried to do to you know really get the numbers boosted up.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was man. I gotta tell you, like I've booked for venues for a lot of things, you know, and like that uh, that was a I still think well, Kansas City's no picnic either. Yo, I, think God, Saint, I think I think I think finding a venue in any wrestling town is hard. It's not it's especially a like a bigger city, but like uh, I just thought. For for what major wanted, which was a pretty big place, something that wasn't going to completely break the bank, uh, even though he's you know he did spend a lot of money. I was going to say and- Scott is true. <laughs> And, uh, Scottish <laughs> Rite was not cheap, but, uh, but, you know, but also, like I said, that urban feel, uh, and, and you know, he obviously in both towns, Kansas City and St. Louis, we sort of like started going to the outskirts. We'd be in Overland Park and over there we were in, um, gosh, where'd we end up? Where's the uh, first? We were Saint, at the skating rink over there? Yeah.
3: St. Uh, St. Charles. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, St. Peter's like, uh, yeah,
3: there, there was like an elk's lodge in St. Peter's. I recall wrestling at once there towards the tail end. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I I remember being uh, outside of the Castle Loma one time, and a guy threatening to kill me. <laughs> while I was well, I, I was smoking a well, cigarette. He was this homeless guy, digging through the trash can. He said, "You what? fight? I'll kill you!" And I was just like, "Oh!" And I, you know, and I was like, "Well, welcome, welcome to, Red to Red St. Louis,
3: Mister Miller." Yeah.
1: And uh, funny story about Major too. I'm driving with Major to the first St. Louis show, or one of the first St. Louis shows, and we're going 170 something like that, 180 miles an hour. Oh, yeah something oh, yeah. <laughs> super crazy we come over i'd never been to st louis before so i'm i'm kind of pumped up right and we come over the the i don't know the freeway and i see the arch and i was like oh man i've always you know i'm from california i was like i always wanted to see the arch he's like you know what that is gabe and i was like what and he's like that's an upside down it's a frown this city sucks <laughs>
3: I was like, Damn. yeah. Sounds like major. <laughs> I was like,
1: I was like, and then, and I was like, man. I, and I started laughing because it was really funny that he put the, the arches a frown. And then I'm like, and then just for the next 15 minutes, he's berating everything, <laughs> like the infrastructure of St. Louis, how it's run by these two. Like, he was giving me a breakdown of St. Louis politics, and I'm just like, he's like, you know why this city's a shithole? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, let me tell you. And I was like, okay. So that was. Well, like, they
2: had. Look, they have a—they're a union town, right? I believe so. Like you have to let everyone else do stuff, so that was always expensive. I believe that was one of the negatives of being in St. Louis proper.
1: Uh, yeah, I—I um, I, I don't remember. He just—man, well, I knew I—I I just knew he did not like St. Louis. And I'm like, well, he's trying to attempt something, you know, with this I—the I-70 series. It always felt like to me, just a real quick sidebar, it felt like, it felt like St. Louis didn't care about Kansas City, but we were somehow rivals with you guys. It was. Or, or maybe vice versa. It was like, was it like, it, it's more like St. Louis looked up to Chicago and we were looking over at St. Louis and, blah, 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 and then St. Louis. Like, I think that's
3: a very good way to look at it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it like I was it, like, it, there's not it's a, a right throwback
2: to, right. to the eighties and seven. It's a throwback to the 85 world series, which at this point is 35 years ago or whatever. So I get it. It's a, but that was basically the, the I 70 series, like Kansas city was good at baseball. St. Louis has been great at baseball for hundred years. So like uh, that's when it was a thing. Okay, Uh, see, I
1: I don't understand. I didn't understand. But,
2: but yes, I think as time has eroded on, uh, the Royals suck. Uh, St. Louis (laughs) – I mean, I know I, I always read Kevin, he loves like the XFL, but St. Louis overall as a town doesn't love the NFL. So uh, they're, they're like, complete, they love hockey. It's just like, a, they're two different towns. So yes, I think, yeah. Can, I think St. Louis and Chicago is a, a much bigger rivalry in the grand scheme of things than Kansas city, but we need some, you know, who else, who else hates Kansas city? You know I mean? It's not really, it's sort of a non-factor town.
1: So, uh, but, well now you know, everybody loves a, Kansas city because of Patrick yeah. Mahomes and stuff. <laughs> no, well, yeah,
3: now, 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 now we we're, um, we're 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 somewhere on the map. What, uh, I love yeah. Kansas City, man. I sp- I spend time in Kansas City about three four times a year. I try to come see the Jayhawks as much as possible. So, oh, that's awesome, Rock, rock, rock Chuck Jayhawk. <laughs> oh, really, I went to Missouri. Even another negative on you. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh,
2: I you know so. It's funny. Obviously, everyone that was involved in WO remembers Major just like one night he just like went online and just like shit all over St. Louis online and, like, and basically said we're never coming back. And then we reopened uh, it and went back to St. Louis. But I think at that point, you're sort of pissing on a grave at that point. So, uh, yeah. yeah, is that sort of I mean, you were I don't know if you were still around when he wrote that sort of diatribe online, but uh, I'm sure you heard about it.
3: Honestly, you know, now that, you know, going back to what I said earlier about, me, I don't know where it went wrong. Why I didn't, you know, continue on with the playing with part-time. Now that you say that, I think that might, I think that's kind of where it all stemmed from because <laughs> I think that might've been the week that I had my last match. I want to say it was the week after I had dropped the title to Maverick and, uh, yeah, I woke up one day and, uh, major just went online and just shat all over St. Louis and, I, I don't. I don't think I said anything rude. I just clapped back like, "Oh, don't worry, we're gonna be just fine with, you know, real wrestling, you know, and, and taking a little dig at the wrestling, you know, name of NWL." Sure. And I was like, "We're gonna be just fine. We got real, you know, capital letters wrestling in St. Louis. We're gonna be just fine, guys. Don't worry." And I think maybe that was kind of the seed to where Major was kind of like, "All right, screw him. We're not bringing him back." <laughs> ah, see. <laughs>
2: I don't remember right? there being an edict where it was like screw KLD forever but I'm but sure if I had like, to, if
3: I had to pinpoint something that's the only thing I could think of be like oh well
2: maybe that's why he didn't bring me back
3: and <laughs> and I, and I probably, remember go ahead go
2: well I was just going to say he was probably just upset about the uh you know it's like when um I always think like, so when WCW is still around and I was in the WW office and like people would get uh, like legitimately we get offers from WCW, whether it was some guy in magazine or some guy in home video, some they would get an offer. And they would go to somebody and they would go to their boss and be like, Hey man, can you just match this? I want to stay here. And uh, if people did that in the new media department with like Shane McMahon, Shane would that, if you even take an offer like that to them and sort of spit in their face and in in their mind, you are dead to them. Like, bye, you're fired. Get out. And that's where I sort of, I mean, I, I don't remember him saying anything like never, never book him. But like when you ended up leaving uh, that was probably like painful for him for a while because you know look i major in my opinion is taken back now like overall it was probably his biggest failure in business so um like he doesn't necessarily like talk about it obviously and and as far as like someone like you who was a prospect that didn't really necessarily fall in love with didn't want to be here the rest of your life i guess uh i could see him being like yeah well he doesn't need to be a part of this you know so
3: that makes sense No, absolutely that makes a lot of sense like yeah and I, and i that's what
1: i was going to talk about because i do remember actually me being i mean no bullshit me me being somewhat hot at you for that comment be, um or it was something else maybe like you you did the letterman thing when you came out on your first indie date or something like that and i remember being like come on man like yeah i remember yeah, that l- stuff i like or something like that and i'm like what like I, and then I I just didn't know where
3: it would like was stemming from, you know what I mean? And it's like, so in, in my perspective, it was never anything negative on my end, man. I mean, the letterman stuff was fun to me and if I did it, it was never a dig. Uh, It was just a a fun part of my career that if anything, it's a a part of my career that I wanted to take with me away from the NWL.
1: See, You know, like it was, it was a
3: fun thing for me. It was never ever meant to be a dig at anything you guys were doing or anything I did with NWL. It was, like I said it was a good part that I wanted to take with me.
1: So. I mean obviously I didn't I didn't stay too hot at you because I booked you for Journey Pro for God's sake. So <laughs> yeah. I, and 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 I remember actually when I when I booked you for Journey and like it was had been the first time we had seen each other in quite a quite a minute and mm-hmm. I you know I think we were just like dude whatever. Like it's it's uh, you know every like you said everything happens for a reason and I was just I I think you tagged with Dan the dad that night. You guys got over
3: super good. That was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, four corner tag match. We had a lot of fun, man. We were, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, "I'm like, all right, you know, let's let's just, you know, whatever my and it wasn't even major heat, whatever minor heat we might have had or I had towards you and you were oblivious too. <laughs> I was like, forget it, man. We're you know we're moving on with journey. But um, so going back to you know your time in the end uh, in in the N.W.L. What, what were some of the matches that stood out to you that like you like even like loved working or maybe I mean you don't have to bear anybody but maybe some of the maybe some of the lower points of of yeah.
3: wrestling in the NWO were some of your fondest memories. Um I don't think I had any low ones to be honest. I mean obviously there were some matches where there was another thing too at that point in my career. I wanted to be cooking. Like I wanted to be wrestling five star matches every night of the week and you know when you're when you're wrestling TV programs that's not something you can always do. Mm-hmm. Um so if I had to say, you know, there was a quote unquote low point uh, looking back it's fine but at the time you know I get upset when you know I get to go out there and wrestle you know some you know slow- paced five minute match but I also had some of my favorite matches of my career at the Nwl um anytime anybody asked me about you know what are some of the favorite matches you ever had uh Matt Fitchett my I, you know I went over 20 I think it was over 20 minutes with Matt I Fitchett. remember that match I remember in, that match, uh, actually in, in the semifinals for the yeah for the St Louis title yeah Man, like I go back and I still watch that stuff. I'm like, man, you know, it was just so much fun. Like, it's just that feeling that sticks with you when you have a match like that. Just that was that was one of my favorite matches I've ever had. And then I had another one with Dak Draper in Kansas City. I think it was actually just like a throwaway Comic Con show match. It was. Oh, but we God, went out the
1: Comic Con show.
3: <laughs> but we went out there and we tore it up, man. We had a lot of fun, and uh, you know, there's there's certain wrestlers you get in there with, and you just have chemistry with. And Dak Draper's is definitely one of them, and. Yeah, that match we had at the Comic-Con, I had a blast, man. It was oh a night God. off in a good way. It, was, it wasn't like we took a night off, but it was a night off in the sense of, wow, man, you know, this we didn't really have to try hard for this at all, man. So, yeah, the those Comic-Con two matches were is- sick of
2: the Comic-Con is still waiting for their paycheck to get paid for us being a part of that booth. But oh, uh, but in, in Major's defense, uh, they were supposed to have a freaking ring out there to where we could have a match. Instead, they put us in municipal auditorium across the street. Yeah. Like yeah. Nothing else was in there. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And like, uh, yeah, so you said it was a throwaway match. It sort of was from the standpoint of like most of the fans are like over in Comic-Con being like, where's the NWL guys going there across <laughs> the street in the dark? But I, yeah, it was, I, I from remember. what I
3: recall though, it was a decent crowd though, no? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was it was
2: when they finally filed in over there. Right. It was like it was just like a it was like a satellite building just for this. And I just I don't know. Right. It, just, it wasn't exactly what they had advertised when I think he signed on the dotted line. Gotcha. I remember
1: I remember that Matt or that whole day. Major was cantankerous to say the least at certain points in our in our uh company. He was maybe the maddest I'd ever seen him like all day so much. So to the point, he said something to me that night. I can't remember what it was. Super insulting. So like, like so insulting that I was like, I, what, what am I doing? Like I, I should, I, I, I literally thought about quitting that night. I think I might, I might've talked to you golf or somebody else. I was just like, I, what the, f- I, I can't do this. Like this guy is, I mean, but he was so hot about the whole comic-con thing that, he took it out on me, apparently. So,
2: well, I mean, if you would see the price that they were charging to do that stuff at Comic Con, it was it was incredibly high. I mean, oh, I'm so, sure. Of course, he wasn't exactly happy with the setup or anything, so Woo! it wasn't it wasn't worth it. But um, you you talk about the you uh, Kevin, you you left before we had more of a sort of a territory uh, cyclical run around the area because. You know, I think a lot of people had the same problem you did, and I understood it. You know, you guys want to wrestle. Uh, here I am signed to a wrestling company, and I'm wrestling maybe once a week, you know, and it's and it sucked. Uh, so then at, at a certain point, obviously, we started adding more cities. Uh, we tried to make it more of a, you know, like half a dozen city loop every once in a while with Kansas City and St. Louis still being involved, but also throwing in the Joplins, the Springfields, the you know, the St. Joe, you know, stuff like this. And and so people were wrestling more, but these are all stuff that, you know, as it was, like I said, when we started this thing, it was a quick turnaround. We were all hired in like, you know, late summer of 16 and he wanted this up and going by January 1st of 17. So it's like, you know, there wasn't a lot of time to get all this stuff up and going. And, and frankly, we've talked about it a lot, like how much money, like, did you, were you ever aware Kevin of how much money was being spent on everyone's uh stagecoach boots and like their gimmickry of, <laughs> that they had?
3: Oh yeah. I've heard some numbers and I've been blown away more than one, more than one occasion for sure.
2: <laughs> Holy God. I, the one I remember is Jack Foster, of course was Jake Durden. It was, he was assigned sort of like a, a you know, a, Unabomber guy, you know, what's his name? Ted Kaczynski? Was that his name? Yes, yes. Ted Kaczynski style guy who was like writing his manifesto in his like cabin in the middle of the woods. So he would dress like obviously like cargo pants with, uh, you Know a red and black checkered, yeah, cut off sleeve shirt and all this stuff, but anyway, he wanted Major wanted him to have a typewriter and he wanted a manual typewriter, one that you would see in the you know the 1940s or 50s. And I just remember the girl in the office go calling this theatrical stage company and hey, we need a typewriter, yeah, we can get one of those. And like, she's like, How much would that be? They were like, Oh, no more than like seven, eight hundred dollars. And I'm like, Dude, you can go to freaking Goodwill and buy one for like two bucks, okay? they're throwing these out every day, okay? Come on, that's how this company was at the beginning it was
3: yeah
1: uh and and we were i mean we were papering both towns so hard too i think that's another thing like in retrospect i wish we would have done a little bit differently i think we really kind of you know i understand wanting to promote and get the name out but i think like after a while people are like where's the free tickets you know what i mean so like padding the numbers at first was a good idea but then like you know we just we just kept giving out so many damn tickets and it's like Okay, what's re- and then poor Dan and me at the front door, you know, had to like, okay, this is the stack of tickets from up down, and this is the stack of tickets, you know. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, so I mean there were so many things that we could have all done differently, especially, you know, with his handling of St. Louis, um, you know, going under and whatnot. And then eventually that after you left, of course, the guys started going back to their original names, you know. Uh Jay Lutz was no more. Gary jay comes back and you know, we started doing more of like a traditional indie vibe, and that's when we really started actually cooking
3: on all cylinders.
1: Like Yeah, I'm work- really
3: kind of sad I didn't get to be more of a part of that. I know um I can't remember if it was Matt Jackson or, or you, Chris, that had reached out to me there towards the end, but mm-hmm. somebody got a hold of me and we had the whole program playing with Dak Draper. I showed up in Kansas City, surprised everybody, attacked that was uh, it. Dak yeah. from behind. That was what
1: we were, that's what Chris was trying to remember. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We
3: had uh yeah, and then we had the one match at uh is, is Turner Hall, is that the name of
2: the building? Yeah, Turner Rex Center, yeah. Turner Rex that's Center, right.
3: yeah. We had the one match at Turner Rex Center, and then we were supposed to have a another match in the feud at the TPC, and then that, that week that the match was supposed to happen is when everything folded Dude. and sure you're closing. Dude, I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot Yeah, that I was that really was bummed, going man, to be I match. was really excited. I was really excited to be back. And I was really because obviously I took notice of everything that was going on, you know, with Joplin and Springfield, like you mentioned. And I was like, man, this is really cool. Like I'm I'm really glad that he reached out. And I'm really glad to be a part of this moving forward. And then, you know, bam like that, the snap of the fingers, it was done. <laughs>
1: I, I can't, I totally forgot about that program. And I now I'm remembering, I'm like, oh my God, that's right. He, you were coming back into the fold. I completely forgot about that. That's crazy. Anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, Hey, did you,
2: Kevin, did you have uh, what was your perspective on the whole, like closing from the outside in? Like I always say everyone has their own story. What was the story you were told? Like, uh, did you get any kind of specific information of like why it was done?
3: Um, the most I heard from a couple of the guys that were still there was that uh major kind of had a, I can't remember if it was a conference call or, or a meeting at the office, but, you know, he, he was just kind of emotional and he was, you know, he's because, you know, when we stepped into it, what did we all sign like two or three year deals? And what what are we, what were we like 14, 15 months into the thing when it shut down? So yeah, I yeah. do remember hearing that he had kind of, you know, kind of an emotional meeting, but that's as far as, is what I heard. Um, I heard he dropped a lot of numbers of what went into it and what was lost and fuck, I couldn't even imagine like moving forward after, that alone you know much less for another year or two or however long the contracts were so sure yeah man it's just it's just crazy man it's it it was a wild ride and it was crazy to see it play out like that
2: (laughs) yeah i think uh it was more of a personal financial thing on his part that that really ended it but i mean it was the the early year the early six to eight months of it you know uh were the ones that really put him in the uh the red but i think like at the end Um, if we were in the black, you know, and and the TPC show was just one of those things that, uh, and what you know, whether we ended up having one show or not was sort of irrelevant, it was going to close. Uh, but having the TPC is, I'll never forget when you know, he was looking for other ideas, and I was just like, why don't we make our own venue? I mean, all these other places had it, you know, everyone has their own place. Here we have, uh, you know, he's paying so much money for a downtown uh, office plus the TPC, so um. You know, uh, so Robbie Messerly can have a gym. So, you know, I ended up uh, <laughs> we ended up like moving to the TPC and that's where we did everything out of there. So uh, it was it was a uh, it would have been a very cool venue. It would have been uh, it had that damn Except for the bathrooms. The damn pole too. There was a pole in the middle of the damn. Oh,
3: that pole! Yeah, yeah, that would have been. It was going
2: to have to be, and it, it was going to have to be somehow put in the the you know built into the ring area somehow. It was going to have to be flowered up to be part of a you know something you could jump off of higher, just because it was so in the way. But yes, the <laughs> bathrooms. I don't know if you. He saw he Gabe. Something about the bathroom situation. They were building these bathrooms, Kevin, and like. They took like, I don't know, six months to build these bathrooms. And it, when you went in there, it was like Helen Keller was giving a freaking hammer and some nails. And it was like, it was horrible.
1: Dude, uh, one but, stall was like 16 inches. One stall was like maybe 24. And then there was the handicap stall. And I was like, have you seen any of our yeah. fans? Like,. <laughs>
3: Homeboy
1: Arlen would have tried to wedge himself into the smallest stall, and it would have been a yeah, Wrestling
3: fans aren't the smallest of folks. So yeah,
1: <laughs> right.
2: right. No, no, but... Well, I look, I'm uh, I always wanted to talk to you about uh, the end of it because it was yeah. uh, you were a very big part of the beginning of it. Um, and I think that was because you were like, a, a you know, a rising star, man. Um, you know, you were very good at what you did at the time. You're a big dude. And uh, I thought you brought a lot to the table. Uh, you helped with the credibility of it at the beginning, just being a local guy. Uh, but I will say, Kevin, and I say this to Gabe all the time, like that that first you know, the core group of guys we had there full-time, like uh, looking back, I would put those dudes against anyone in any company. I mean, we Absolutely. had it all. We had uh, we had some diversity, but we also had, like, diversity as far as experience. You know, we had some mm-hmm. – you know, S- Sam had been to NXT. Um, you know, then you had some guys like the Regals and you were sort of, you know, climbing up and getting some spots here and there. Maverick mm-hmm. was a, a big jack dude. You know, Durden was a great, you know, cerebral guy so good uh, you know there was uh, you know Thor. It, it was I, Thor uh you know Mike outlaw, Blaine Meeks yeah. I mean okay. all at the time they were all guys that were legitimate dudes and especially in the midwest, but maybe even more so and I just think you know when I look back, it was a real special group of dudes
3: I agree man uh we were definitely a talented group of dudes and most of all we were hungry you know we we wanted to make this happen and like you said i would I would have put our locker room up against a lot of locker rooms at the time because yeah, we, we were talented and we were hungry man and that's that's all there is to it yeah so
1: talk about you know so um post nwl um you
3: started glory pro uh yeah i kind of joined in what was going on um, a bunch okay. of the guys that i trained with and then my trainer michael elgan included started glory pro while i was gone and uh yeah i think my first show there was in july of 2017 and it was definitely a warm reception, man. It was it was definitely the welcome home I was I was looking for. Right. Uh, I think we had six hundred people in the in the fairgrounds. It was a big show. We had Cody Rhodes, uh, uh, Jack was there. Uh Yeah, it, it was just an absolutely loaded show. And I mean, I've done nights in Canada, you know, where I've done you know five, six, seven hundred dollars in merch, you know, on on a Wednesday night. But that that day was the highest I've ever done in my merch sales, and I'll just never forget. Uh, all the fans I met that day, all the T-shirts sold, and just the reaction of the crowd when I walked through that curtain, man—it was moments like that are what wrestling careers are. That's what it's all about, man. Like shit, like that's the stuff that's going to stick with me forever. So,
0: yeah.
3: While while it was sad, you know, the way the NWL ended the way it did, uh, there wasn't a better way I could have started it than than that show uh, in July.
1: And then when you you've, you've, you've moved
3: ahead. on to, so, so you go from glory pro
2: and now you do now wrestle max. I mean, you've become like a promoter wrestler guy. Like what's the, like, you got to admit, like promoting indie wrestling is uh sort of a pain in the
3: ass. Right. I mean, it, we all could have done it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. It, it is. It's the dirt worst. As, as a matter of fact, and, uh, it's the worst. It's just talking about it though, man. Like I, I love telling stories and uh, I don't always have to be that guy. You know, I sat here. Uh, the last few months with my wife, you know, God bless her heart sitting here listening to me and all my ideas. And I just, I'm a very creative guy and I, I like writing stories and I like, I like watching that kind of stuff unfold, you know, even when it's not just me in the middle of the ring, I like being in gorilla position. I like seeing the organic reactions from the fans of, you know, something I came up with, you know, sitting on the couch watching a movie that I had to whip up my phone and type a million ideas into my notes on my iPhone. And there's just, even though like booking shows is biggest pain in the ass, you know, especially at the independent level when you got guys getting signed left and right or getting bigger opportunities or getting injuries. It's it's really hard when you have a bunch of guys that aren't contracted and you're trying to write stories, but man, like when it all plays out the way you want it to and you're just cooking on all cylinders, man, there's nothing like it. So, while it's definitely a pain in the ass trying to pull everything together, uh trying to get travel situated and all that, I I truly believe there's there's no other feeling like it, man, outside from wrestling itself just as a promoter and as a booker it's just it's an incredible feeling man and it kicks my ass but i'll I'll do it until the wheels fall off It's 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 the
2: crack of the business. The crack of the business is the actual show and like the adulation of the actual show, the fans, the adrenaline rush after the show, the next day talking to the boys and your family, friends, whatever about it. And you're like, and it's so great that like just euphoric feeling of uh, the 24 hours before, during and after the show. And then it's all the rest sucks.
3: That's all the, best <laughs> all the rest. That's that's the gist of it, man. I couldn't have said it even better, <laughs> man. Yeah. So you and, so uh, you
1: are doing WrestleMax now? That's your that's your company or are you and partners
3: company, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. I started okay. WrestleMax. Um actually, so there was a point in time where I took a I took a breather from wrestling. Um, not by choice. I got injured again. Um it was I've had I had a really wild wild last few years, man. I know I haven't seen you in a while, but uh, you know, I had uh, my father passed away at the end of 2018, and I, remember that. I was really excited to, to bounce back in in 2019. Um, one month in, I, I tear my biceps, so I have to get surgery at the end of January of 2019. I uh, get really excited to come back at the end of 2019,
1: and, you know, Go the big. pandemic is,
3: yeah, whoop, oh, the world's shutting down, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually, I was actually in England, you know, I'll keep that story short, but I was actually in England when the world shut down, and wow. that was a huge pain in the ass trying to get home from that oh my gosh um and so the world opens back up and you know they're starting to do you know some kind of you know social distancing shows and um i ended up tearing ligaments in my other elbow and i'm out again for another four or five months so i kind of just wanted to take a mental break and i told dan and the glory pro guys like you know i just everything weighing up on me up to that point was it was just too much and i just didn't want anything to do with wrestling at that point i felt like I was overlooked in certain situations, and not only was I getting overlooked, but there was actually TV um, opportunities I had booked prior to getting injured that I was getting taken away from me. So it was just a whole, a whole whirlwind of mess. I was, I just told them I wanted to take a breather, and you know, once I, once I started bouncing back from that, is when I started Russell Max with a few of my buddies, and we, you know, we did a couple shows around here, but Missouri is just such a pain in the ass to run (laughs) in, man. Uh, you, you guys know how it is, but we don't have to go into that, But but luckily I think the last show we ran was August of last year. And we're finally bouncing back this week. Friday, we have one in Columbia, Illinois. And when I say, I'm glad that we waited until we found the perfect spot. I can't stress that enough. This building's beautiful. It's perfect. Exactly what we want to do. High ceilings, wide room. We got like 150 inch screens on each side of the room and I, I'm really excited that we waited this long for the perfect building because I think we finally found it.
1: Where can folks get tickets for if they're in the St. Louis area? Where can folks get tickets to WrestleMax?
3: Uh, you can get tickets at uh, wmstl.ticketleap.com. Uh, that's where we have all our tickets for all our events. Awesome,
2: that's cool, man. I I look forward to uh, seeing more of your uh, of your company. It's uh, look, I Strider does Central States here now. You're doing that. Um, you know, Jack is still doing still, anarchy. Still doing anarchy. It's like it's like God bless all of you. Uh, you know, like yeah, I will say, Kevin, you can say till the wheels fall off, and maybe you'll do it till you die. I will say uh, after I stopped promoting indie wrestling, and I think Gabe was like this too. It was like uh, for the first, like, I don't know, three to six months, I was really bummed out because, you know, you everything on your damn social media is like all your wrestling crap. You see everyone else <laughs> doing it. You're like the kid that's left out of uh, the party now and like you just can't. But then everything after that has been great. So, uh, so after the, after you actually lose the addiction, uh, and you have to like get it out of your system completely and you go to rehab, then (laughs) like it's totally fine, but back to normal and
3: great.
0: So
2: see, um, I
3: thought I would have been like that possibly after the August show, I did have a a small moment where i was like, man, I'm over it. I'm over it. But uh, yeah, a month or two passed and it just, the itch was there, man. I couldn't let it go. So we, we, none of us can, that's why we're doing this show. Why why, do we do this?
2: we do this cause I can't just totally
1: step away. I, I, I get can't. it. It is.
2: Yeah. But promoting a show is a completely different animal. So I will do this and talk it to a mic. Yeah. And, let, know, whatever. Let,
1: I'll, I'll leave all that promoting to other people. <laughs> uh, Kevin, thank you so much, man. Like seriously, it's been such a great conversation with you. Like I, I'm so happy for you. Like I told you via text earlier today, you're a new dad. I'm a new dad. Congratulations on that, on the marriage, everything like that, man. Like, and I, you know, going through the surgery we were talking about it off air and you know i i hope this is the start of a huge comeback trail for you and um you know as far as the wrestling side of things go if that's what you want to do um but i i really appreciate
3: the time man i really do no absolutely congratulations to you as well and uh <laughs> thank you guys for inviting me on man i really think this was really good for i i needed some kind of not closure but uh, what, whatever the word is for it, I, I needed it, and I, I appreciate you guys having me on to talk about it. It was really good to see you – or, quote, unquote, see you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. S-
2: same here because I – you know, I always – I don't think uh, I don't think we ever really talked much about NWL well after yeah. you left, you know. And it was yeah. uh, it was sort of a weird. Um, it was sort of like a breakup, but not really. It uh, was. I don't know how to explain <laughs> it. It was, it was uh, you know, it was like a breakup where I don't really hate your guts, but I really uh, we just never decided to never talk about it again. Um, but uh, but you know, it was. I think uh, looking back now, as we all do, and you sort of mellow as you get older, and we're all dads, I guess, and you know things are a little bit more important than wrestling shows. But <laughs> when you look back, uh, it's very you know, I, it was just a really cool time. I met both you dudes, uh, doing wrestling and, uh, I, I appreciate you being a part of it. And it's something that we'll always have the, I will say the NWL, like, uh, sort of the, the brotherhood is like, if you were a part of it and it doesn't matter if I'm now, or like when I'm 80 years old, like, (laughs) like we could just, we're automatically connected based on like what the hell we went through. So
1: yeah, it was a very unique experience. Thank you so much Kevin for joining us today. Stick around after I uh, hit stop and we'll we'll wrap it up uh, privately. So thanks so Sounds much good. man, I
3: appreciate it. Thank you guys.
0: It's the worst territory.
1: All right, welcome back to the worst territory in the world. That was such a fun interview that we did with KLD, a.k.a. Todd Letterman, last night. And uh, we we hope you guys got a just a little bit of a different perspective on not only the inner workings of the NWL, but also he was going to be called Sebastian at one time, which is still <laughs> sticking with me.
2: I totally forgot about that, but I do remember that after he said it. it. It fell by the wayside very quickly on. There were so many, like I said, that – Travis Bowden, God rest his soul. He, he had a lot of old school philosophies, which I totally agreed with in a lot of them, but, uh, but he, they, they were pretty cheesy corny on the, on the Kansas city, St. Louis sort of namings and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, although it, it would have been funny at some point to start calling him Sebastian and have the big unveiling of his, you know, let's get his birth certificate. I mean, you could have like, you could have done funny stuff with that, but I yeah, know, you, like, could have. you could have ALD at the time, uh, was, you know, he was, a is a big hulking, like tough guy and maybe not the 100% the right person to do that with, but in a different person possibly would have worked out.
1: I, I, that that actually is. I kept laughing during the interview last night because I was like Sebastian. That's just I can because the funny thing was is I could picture that being a hidden name of Kevin, aka K- KLD, and that he's like, hey, 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 no, 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 don't call me Sebastian, you know? Because I don't know, there was something really funny about it, but I, I can definitely see why that didn't work. But it was really good to to talk to KLD and kind of again Barry, maybe Barry a little bit of a catch it he even said like you know it was really good to kind of have some closure on the nwl and talk to me and you about it and uh you know we're hoping to have more nwl guys like kld on that maybe weren't the you know the full-time guys or even if they were maybe it didn't last too long and really kind of get their different perspectives on it so who do we have some of the people in the works hopefully in the next couple weeks when you have time in your busy schedule to uh, schedule some of these guys out
2: We've talked about Gil Rogers and yeah. he's a guy that's sort of, he, he, uh, he didn't have quite, he didn't have the same kind of experience as KLD, but he was, there was a time where, uh, me and Gil weren't seeing eye to eye and, uh, and Gil, even though he was super over and everyone like Gil's army still, I got, did you see, uh, uh, Dan Marsh? he posted, uh, that a picture on Facebook of the the petition that he made for Gil's army justice for Gil hashtag justice for Gil when Gil was fired by Matt Jackson and they wanted to uh, continue to try to get him back. I mean, it was a uh, Gil was super over in NWL and um, you know, but there was a couple things that we had talked about and Gil uh, was at one point talked about becoming champion and uh, that did not happen because of several reasons. And I know he was not the happiest about that so uh you know he's another guy that had sort of up and down in nwl really as far as like where he thought he was gonna go and stuff like that and gosh dude it's just funny like wrestling is like this on every level whether it's wwe or nwl or even lower than that it's like you know you can talk about a lot of scenarios but so many things go into different things injuries you know nwl was changing so much at that time as far as like where we were running, how we were making our business model, who was, we were having layoffs. I mean, there was a lot of things happening. So, you know, things never, some things that were talked about never came to fruition, good or bad. And, uh, he's another guy that I want to talk with very soon. He will be on here. Um, And, you know, like we've talked about other Metro Pro guys, talked to Bull Schmidt again the other day. He was a Metro Pro champion. Uh, Some of the other guys that were from the Kansas City area in the, you know, 90s, 2000s, 2010s that we're going to get their perspective on. But these NWL shows are really interesting for me and you to do because, of course, now with the perspective we've had and just that uh, it's just that comet fireball that happened in our life for a couple of years is still sort of like glowing because we always seem to go back and talk about it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I when we when we go back and take a look at at the NWL and all this stuff, and it was really great because Todd reminded me KLD. I called him Todd. That's hilarious. Uh, KLD reminded me of some of these like little nuances of things I didn't remember because you know we were such a part of the day to day life of everything involved in the company, and even you just talking about the Gil Rogers petition, I totally remember that, and I totally remember talking to like. Thinking about ideas for television about how we could, when Gil gets kicked out, how he was going to like maybe run around the building or something, you know, just like all these ideas that we had. And you think somebody like, it's funny when you're talking about the layoffs and the firings and stuff, like KLD had a right to be upset. He was very protective of his hometown. He had a lot of personal stuff going on, as you heard in the interview. Gil Rogers had a right to be upset because he thought he was so over and all this kind of stuff. But the people that were most upset about the company or leaving the company were the guys that weren't even on TV. And if they were, it was for such a hiccup. And it ruined friendships because of these firings and because of, of things that like, companies do when you're a startup company. So like the guys that more had the right to be pissed off, like aren't that pissed off in retrospect, but the guys that don't have a right are still mad and still holding grudges to this day and like creating fake uh, Twitter accounts.
2: Well, that's because they're losers. I mean, that's, they're just, they just, if you, if you, the guys that you're talking about, and I won't name names, but uh, I think most people in the know will know, but uh they're just basically people that are angry all the time. <laughs> it wasn't just NWL. Well. So, uh you know, there's a lot of people that uh just don't see any positive in, in their life and they try to. Don't make ever, you know, if you, the lemon lemonade situation is never in their philosophy. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I can understand
1: being upset when you first get fired, right, Chris? If you guys would have fired me, I would have been upset because I was, but like, it would have taken me 0.2 seconds to say, I got a chance to make a full-time living in wrestling. I'm good. Like, it's, it's okay. You know, everything is, is okay with these. Yeah, it's just it's There's and that's a sense what, of
2: delusion that needs to happen if you're right a wrestler uh, to a degree. And then sometimes it's self-preservation. You know, I've I've talked about this a lot. My biggest negative with uh, being a promoter in pro wrestling is that sort of teasing these guys that think they're going to spend their whole life as a professional wrestler and make them believe that that's an opportunity that you and your mind know that that's probably not going to happen. But I mean, who am I to say that's not going to happen? I mean, I can, you know, things, been crazier things have happened all that you whatever uh, cliche you want to use. But, you know, a lot of times you have to sort of play off the emotion that they want to continue to do this. And I, uh, you know, I always got along more with the guys or with the weekend warriors that sort of understood their place and enjoyed it and just legitimately had fun with it, as opposed to the ones that were giving up their entire lives to try to become a professional wrestler. Cause to me, that was always just sort of not healthy. So, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, you don't have the perspective of understanding appreciation of what you had gave, but with a job like that, if you think that it's just a small stepping stone to your like, you know, rock, like Ascension, Ascension in the pro wrestling world. So, um, and then, you know, 20 years later, you hope that they could
1: look back and be like, you know what that actually wasn't that bad, but some people will never have that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So we want to thank Todd Letterman, AKA Kevin Lee Davidson again for appearing on the show. If you would like to book KLD, You can find him on Twitter at KLD underscore STL on Twitter and both Instagram, or if you want to book him for your independent wrestling event, you can go to book KLD STL at outlook.com. So thank you so much uh, to KLD for, uh, you know, stirring up some really fun memories and having a fun conversation with us. All right, Chris, it is that time of the week. We're going to, uh, we're going to just do a Mount Rushmore. I'm not even going to give you the menu. We're just gonna do a Mount Rushmore. So today's Mount Rushmore is top four ECW guys.
2: Oh man, um, gosh, there's so many eras in ECW. Uh, the guys that I, time Tommy dreamer, yes, number one. At, like he's, I think un- he's got to be on there.
1: Undisputed, absolutely.
2: Are we putting Paul Heyman on or off this? I mean, no, it's,
1: let's it's, let's keep Heyman off. off. Let's keep Heyman yeah. off. Yeah.
2: So Tommy Dreamer definitely, um, you know, I mean, gosh, there's so many guys like you know Terry Funk, Stevie Richards that were there uh, a lot, and but not fully all the time. Um, gosh, I, I can't think of like uh, I, me personally, I put RVD. Um, gosh, I you know it's so t- it's you tough have because Taz, you have yeah. Sabu, you have uh, the Dudleys, um, man. Dreamer is like definitely the the top guy. Yes, um 100%. Shane Douglas wasn't there the entire time. It's sort of hard, but he was there during a formative time when I loved ECW. Um I guess I'd put uh Tommy Dreamer, RVD, Sabu and Taz. That's who I'd put.
1: Ooh. Oh, okay. Those are those are really good. I would do I like I know this is going to be weird. I would do honestly Sandman
2: Oh God, Sandman's there too. But I just, Sandman, uh, the gimmick was over. I just never really cared for in-ring stuff. Oh, he was
1: trash. He was trash, but but he he represented everything ECW. He did, he did. So I would do EC, oh, sorry, ECW. I would do Sandman, Dreamer, of course. Franchise, dude. I Like Gary J right now, I know Gary J probably listens to the podcast. Gary J is pulling his hair out of his head because he hates uh, Shane Douglas so much, but Shane Douglas is on there for me because when I first started watching ECW, watching him cut those 20 minute promos on TV about Ric Flair, I was like, how can he talk like this? Like, I mean, he's going to get thrown off for talking so much smack about Ric Flair. But, you know, it was just it was kind of mind blowing to me and Sabu. I, I, I just, I mean, Taz was a really important part. Terry Funk was super important, but those RBD. are the guys I think about. Like it was hard not to put the Dudleys on there, but those are the guys I think about when I think about ECW, man. How like,
2: is RVD not on there, but Sabu is? Why would you pick? I him over see
1: here? that. See that was that's what was tough is because RVD was such a mainstay, but I don't know. Maybe it's because like I'm thinking about like the guys that got me hooked on ECW and RVD, sure. a part of it at that time. But RVD was such an important part. I mean, maybe some would argue the most important transitional wrestler out of ECW, you know, went to a huge mainstream success. Sure. huge. You know,
2: another guy that um like was very annoying when I was on the riding team at WWE, but he was a huge ECW guy that we haven't mentioned is Raven.
1: Oh and, man. See, and
2: he's, but, and he, and he, he left for a while, came back, left again. Um, yeah i mean
1: how i got the job at nwl was telling travis bowden that i thought the most important wrestling angle i'd ever seen was uh tommy dreamer and raven dreamer raven yeah that's a huge one i loved i was obsessed with their angle i like and it lasted for years years and years and years and years like interwoven throughout even when uh wasn't it a dreamer Introduced Raven into the TNA Hall of Fame and he got DDT'd by like Raven. <laughs> and it's like, of course, of course, it's still, you know, kind of a thing. And I was convinced there was this clip. I don't know if you remember this. Um, ECW had the best music ever in any TV show. It was all my kind of music, rock and roll, grunge, whatever you want to call it. Well, it was
2: all uh, copywritten copywritten (laughs) stuff that they couldn't get away
1: with now. But yes. Yeah. Uh, There was this this clip I remember seeing of ECW in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And you see these, it's all these wrestlers partying in this nightclub. And you see Tommy Dreamer and he looks kind of drunk at this bar. And then Raven jumps him in the bar, like a legitimate bar. (laughs) And they start scrapping in the bar. And the way they were fighting, I was like, they really hate each other. I was like, it's one hundred percent. They really hate each other. Like, <laughs> I was completely convinced that these guys. I knew they weren't childhood friends because I was friends of uh, or a fan, a fan of Scotty the Body, Scotty Flamingo. So I knew that wasn't true. But I was like, these guys really hate each other because they're fighting in a nightclub, and nobody does that. So,
2: no, I love those angles like that, man. They don't do stuff like that anymore. Probably more liability reasons and stuff. But they, when they would do stuff on the streets, ECW is great about that. They would just like. You know, I hear Bruce talk about it some on his podcast, but the, when, when they would do that guerrilla videotaping, yeah. yeah. just go on new Jack, you know, new Jack on the subway, yep. cutting a promo or something. And they had no right to be there. They were just taking a little hiat camera there and probably recording. So good. That. I love that kind of stuff. And that's what made ECW so gritty and awesome is that they, they did stuff that was only about, you know, uh, it, it was it was lower than WWE. It was a little higher than what I could do as an indie guy, but like um, you know, but that was what made it cool and gritty and fun.
1: Um, I mean, even I was, their camera angles. You remember how they they were the first ones to start doing the whole like off center kind of zoom in zoom out like yeah extreme quote-unquote like camera angles and it worked everything they did seemed to like just work you know the only
2: thing I would disagree with you on is the Shane Douglas I mean like he's he was a big part there he cut the big promo when he obviously started ECW and threw the title down all yes that's
1: it that's all you need to
2: say that's a big one that is a big one but he his in his prime when he looked like a mini like triple h there when he was jacked and with Francine and all that, he was hurt the entire damn time, dude. Like yeah. he was he was never he was cutting, he was on commentary cutting promos with his cast on for like seemingly three years. So I just, yeah, that was the only problem I had with that.
1: No, I and I totally agree. And like, dude, have you speaking of that, that era, remember when Ravish and Regret came in? Oh yeah. Did you see that clip? I saw it like a year ago, and it, I was like, oh my God where he takes Francine off the apron. Uh, I, so he takes, Fra- so Francine's getting ready to interfere in a match. He pulls her off the apron, flips her upside down like a tombstone and is um um burying his face in her nether regions. And, really? Yeah. And going banana on it. And I was so just that- like, Oh, that my. was the
2: era that that was that that was before he went to back to dx as the bodyguard. Yes. that was like yes. right before that yeah. yeah and he was he was a commentator there for a while he did yes. color and was yeah. yeah he was and he was
1: wearing a hood for a while and then he got got out yeah. and he was tormenting shane douglas and all that kind of stuff but it was i was like wow i like how she didn't press charges on, like you know what I mean? But I mean that was the era, and I it, it like literally shocked me. I was like, oh my god, like that's a that's assault, brother, you know? <laughs>
2: like, yeah, no, I get that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I I've not, I haven't seen that, and it sounds sort of par for the course what I've heard about him, but. Um, but yeah, look, there. Were, you can make an argument for a lot of guys, and at some point we need to do like a mid card one too, like sort of a middle of the road guys in ECW that yeah. you sort of like, sort of the like guilty pleasures of ECW. That would be a good one because you know, of course, the the, the uh, Tracy Smothers and <laughs> the world like that, that dude. kind of stuff would be like obviously mid low card, but it, it didn't matter. They, they I popped every time him and and I, if I saw another like FBI versus like Axel Rotten and uh, you know Balls Mahoney match. Like that, those, I think that took, that was on every card or, or like uh the BWO. Like yeah. They were in, they yeah. were in the same matches for like two years.
1: Yes. <laughs> but I mean, matter. think about super crazy and Tajiri.
2: Oh God. They were together for a long time.
1: You know what I mean? Like those were, those were amazing matches, but anyways, yeah, that was, that was fun to uh, travel down memory lane of all ECW Chris. I think we're going to wrap it up for this week. We got a bunch of great interviews, hopefully coming in the next couple weeks. Um, both of us have been very busy, so we appreciate you guys sticking with us here on the worst territory in the world. Don't forget to like, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. Um, also don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you are getting or listening to this podcast that really helps out, helps us out and gets us to, uh, more and more people. Don't forget also to follow us on our Facebook page and, uh, do all that kind of good stuff. Also, if you're looking for a house in the Kansas City metro area, you can always hit me up. I am a realtor licensed in both Kansas and Missouri. You can email me at wrestlingwithrealestate at gmail.com, or you can give me a phone call at area code 661-236-9055, and I'd be glad to help anybody out with any real estate questions or needs that you have. Chris, you got anything else before we before we completely get out of here? No, I'm
2: good. I'm looking forward to continuing to pump out some content here as uh, some old-school Central State stuff, some Metro Pro, some NWL, and even current-day stuff. Maybe Not not stuff like, uh, you know, Journey Pro, anything like that garbage, <laughs> but like stuff, you know, maybe stuff now. No, I'm kidding totally, but I'm looking forward. Thanks, for guys, for listening, man.
1: Yeah, thank you guys so much, and uh, support uh, good independent wrestling. We will talk to you guys next week where we talk about possibly – the Worst Territory in the World. For Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, everybody. It's
0: the worst territory in the world.